Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chumaluski. Hearing that for the second time in a day, in less than 20 minutes. Um, but we'll talk about that. Um, but here with Chumaluski. Chuma, how are you today, my man? I'm in the house, feeling good, man. Getting ready to uh, talk about some fall sports here today, for sure. I'm ex- I'm really excited to finally talk sports again. Um, it's it's going to be it's such an odd... Obviously, we have a lot to talk about with fall sports. Because it's your very untraditional fall sports year, your very untraditional sports year, period. Um, it's going to be an interesting episode, and I just, man, I, I just, like, when we when we first cracked our first pandemic sports episode, um, when did we do that? Was that back in, like, May? No, that it had to was, be happened in, like, June, right? It was sometime in the beginning of the summer. I'm like, for some reason, it's all kind of running together those months, so I yeah. know that it, it was before our break. <laughs> right. So... So it's been, it, it's, you know, we, we try to do like four to, you know, between like four and five sports episodes, sports specific episodes a year. Um, and this year, obviously, we just haven't had a chance to. Um, there's just, <laughs> they didn't play sports for several months. And now uh, we're kind of at like a weird point in time where only one sport is being, I mean, golf's being played, tennis is being played. But in terms of like our major North American sports, you only have, you only have one sport going on right now. So it's going to be a little bit of a weird episode, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to do a little bit of a rewind here. Um, and let's start off with it. We would we would normally be talking about, and we you know we obviously are going to talk about the World Series victors, but we have to go back and talk about baseball's oddball sixty game season. So I, I want to start there, Chema. Um, when you consider that the MLB got through their season, it didn't look like it was going to happen at the beginning, but they got through it. What was your biggest takeaway from this sixty game sprint? Well, I, I did like the 60-game season. I, I enjoyed what we saw. You're right. There were definitely some problems in the summer and everything. And my biggest takeaway is that I, I am happy that they were able to do it. Okay? Like, that is by far and away something yeah. that, like, they've learned from any mistakes that they made. Hopefully, I, I would think so anyway, because there were some in the beginning. And, you know, pulled through to the way end, got a World Series in there, and, like, and they did something that I feel was – a very, very, very difficult hill to climb, and I will um, we'll get into that a little bit farther. But just as a quick couple things that I got out of the season, um, uh, Tom Ricketts, I don't believe lost a biblical amount of money, as he put it, which is good. <laughs> um, you made a really good point um, earlier when we did the other pandemic sports episode about uh, younger talent in the MLB, like Tatis and everything, this kind of hot young talent crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got to see some some taste of that. And I will round out this whole thing by saying uh, it is more apparent now than ever before that Mike Trout is wasting his career on the Angels because <laughs> not even with an expanded season and Joe fucking Madden, the guy who brought the Cubs a World Series victory, um, were able to get into an expanded playoffs this year. So something's the California Angels um, need to do something big time. They got to they got to go ahead and hire three real pitchers. Is what they have to do. Uh, that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Chema, I, I just really like, just sort of as, as like the, as you're right, the biggest general thing to me is that they, they were dealt a really unfair hand. Like they didn't even get their season started. Um, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, they're still in spring training. So, you know, a lot easier to schedule the NBA's final several games and the NHL's final several games. Um, and then the playoffs, a lot easier to do that than like, how do we cram 162 games in or you know what what number do we go for you know the players the players association and the league have to negotiate certain things 
Um, the fact that we even had a season is just it's remarkable. But I, I think I think the biggest the biggest thing that I really took away was that boy it. As exciting as it was, and it really was exciting. I mean, like the Indians at one point lost seven games in a row, and it felt like that that would essentially be like a, in a normal season losing like eighteen games in a row, which would mm-hmm. be a death sentence normally. Um, so, like every game did feel like it was much more exciting, more pressure packed. You know, if you if you swept a series against someone, like especially in your own in your well, we only played in our own region divisions. We'll get into that. Um, but like you know, like we swept the we swept the White Sox at one point in time, and that felt like a huge important thing because that's three wins in the in the back pocket right there against a team that you're only playing ten times. Um, mm-hmm. So everything did feel more exciting, more important. But it was really, really clear that there are a lot of players this season that need like they're they're clearly creatures of habit. They need things to be the same to sort of get themselves mentally and physically into the into the season that. They just like Christian Yelich had a terrible year. Cody Bellinger had a terrible year. Francisco Lindor had a pretty mediocre year. There's a lot of guys that had bad years that have great track records, and it's clear that like condensing the season down that short just isn't conducive to at least for the hitters. It's not conducive to their to them putting up big numbers. Yeah, dude, you make a really really good point there, and I'm really interested to see like what some results when they do some studies of this season and this you know kind of like statistical analysis is exactly like what these kind of years look like and compared to other years, mm-hmm. and if they maybe like hypotheticals like if they would have had the extra time this year, what their numbers would have looked like, and it speaks really really it speaks actually a lot of things to athletes and the routines and mm-hmm. everything and just even what it takes to develop a rhythm while you're in season and stuff and if you're and i'm telling you man like um i i think out of the three um or i'm sorry out of yeah three nhl ml nba and the mlb i think the nba and the nhl had a, a little bit of a difficult climb because you know they got their season stopped short but i'm not taking anything away from the mlb and their struggle and all the negotiations mm-hmm. and the back and forth and everything that was going on to make this season happen and i think that um baseball being one of these sports and even just athletes and training and everything being on this set in stone regiment for all this time, there is a lot to, to be said about some of these key players, not having all these great years because mm-hmm. of the rush season. You know, even if it's just one of these things where like it takes you 30 games to really get hot, to maybe figure out your swing, right. to learn new um, pitch timings, all that kind of stuff. Even if it's just getting used to the field that you're playing in, looking at the different distances and stuff like those kind of things take time. And baseball is one of those seasons where you have enough games that um, people get built into these routines and stuff like that, because that's all they've ever known. Yeah, no, it's, it's a sport that it's a sport that because it's every day and because it's so many days, it's, it's easy to sort of go, Oh, well, you know what? I, I had a bad two weeks in April. There's 20 weeks of season left. It's okay. Like it, we're going to be okay. But then you have two bad weeks to begin a season. It's like, shit, <laughs> we got six right. left. The season is almost yeah. over. And I think I think a lot of guys couldn't put it out of their heads that I think a lot of guys couldn't put it out of their heads that a, that the bad start, like there's nothing you can do about it. Like you're not your numbers aren't going to look the same. It, but it, it, you know, like so, just put it out of your head and try to just do. If it's for two weeks, the last two weeks of the season, just try to have, make those two weeks great. And I think there's a lot of guys that just had trouble putting it out of their heads. That like, you know, you had you had a bad four weeks. That's literally half the season, and 
you know, like it, it just to you, it must feel like it's over. It must feel like there's mm-hmm. no point in competing anymore because you've had uh, in, instead of instead of you know getting thirty games to figure it out, then having another hundred and thirty to put up the numbers you like. There's only thirty left, and it just it has to right. feel like it has to feel like fuck. I've already fucked up so badly. This is already over. Right. Yeah. The psychological effect that that could have on people that are used to doing the same thing over and over again. You, who knows, man, you get you start off in one slump that might cost you a whole season because it's only 60 games. Right. You might never pull out of it or something or right. like pull out of it to the extent that you're used to pulling it out of. Right. I guess it's I mean, it's hard to compare, but imagine if like the NFL season was only seven games and and the, yeah. the Browns, you know, like or like a like a good team like the Steelers lost three in a row or something. It'd have to feel like your season's over already. Right. Oh, yeah. But believe me, like, and in many ways, it would be. It would like, be, yeah. Because you only have f- four games left and right. stuff like that, for sure. Um, so we had a lot of we had a lot of changes. Um, obviously, you know, like, are we, there was universal DH. There was no, like, quote, I mean, there was interleague play, but it didn't matter because there was a universal DH. Um, we played teams, you know, Central played the Central to limit, you know, West, West played the West, East played the East to sort of limit the amount of travel. Um, you know, we had, we had some new rules with, uh, extra innings. We had some double header rules, some roster rules. Uh, there's a lot of rules that, that came into, oh, we, and we also had the rule, like the, the relief pitchers actually have to face three batters. Um, we had a lot of new rules and, and so, and also just with the way the season unfolded, what were some things that you, what some things that you liked and some things that you didn't like about this season? Okay, so um, the first thing that I liked, you kind of already addressed a little bit, the idea of the 60-game season really intensifying all these games. Like, there was something about the 60-game season that just put a huge amount of weight on these games that would normally not be there. And I remember, like, because my usual baseball routine is you kind of follow it in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then, like, you kind of pick up with basketball, and then, like, sort of progressively throughout the summer you p- follow it, and then the World Series and, um, and all that stuff you're, you're kind of locked in for. So... I, you know, opening weekend comes around and I get through opening weekend and um, I was listening to a couple games on the radio and stuff. And I, you know, I guess like I kind of went into a more of like a relaxed mode of following it. And then I'm listening to Bull and Fox one day and it was um, like literally like a month before the playoffs started. And they're like, yeah, hey, by the way, like the season's over with or going to be over with soon. And I'm like, didn't it just like start or something like that? And I was like, Oh wow. (laughs) Yes. Jesus Christ. This is totally fucking cool. Like this is really, really badass. that, um, you know, that there was all these weight on these games and then I'm like, okay, well now being with the Dodgers and stuff, I didn't really have to pay too much attention because they were, you know, so ahead, but Uh, they, 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 they obliterated everyone else in that division. Yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't even funny and stuff. And um, the uh, the Indians, it was a little bit more like you you kind of had to follow them and stuff because they they weren't in the position where they were just dominant the whole year. So um, I really dug that. I really thought that that added a ton of importance to the games. There weren't any throwaway games like you know you just you couldn't lose a, like a series and then make it up like every single mm-hmm. thing counted, which was awesome. So that's my in general thing. And just to get into a couple of the rules. I absolutely love the seven inning double hitter or double header. Yep. I thought that that's great. What a fucking genius idea that is. And, um, I, I did enjoy this. It's future. I don't think is going to make it. Um, and believe me, I got a couple more things to add onto this conversation as we progress. But, um, I love the whole like runner starting at second base in, um, extra innings thing. I thought that that's really cool. Just a different element of strategy and something different. I liked it. I, I'm going to start there with you because I agree wholeheartedly. 
I was I was kind of down on the idea of the runner being on second base in extra innings, and in fact, the Indians were one of the first teams to get burned by it. Um, <laughs> I guess I think it was against the Royals. Uh, we were one of the first teams to get burned by it. But as as it happened, the Indians played enough. The Indians played like five or six extra inning games. I want to say, and so we got to see it enough to realize that, like you know, whenever people complain about, especially the the National League sort of people that like the pitcher should bat kind of people. And they always talk about mm-hmm. strategy and when to lay down a bunt and do all that kind of stuff. Putting that runner on second, like like you said, put, it takes a whole new strategy element and puts it in the game. Do you want a bunt and you know just try to move the runner over? If you have a fast runner, you just want to have him try to steal right away. Um, you know, if you have a if you have like some someone lethargic, if you had like um, I'm trying to think of a big, big fat slow guy, like you had like a Miguel Sano or someone at second base. Um, do you even try? to sack bunt because that play at third could still be close. There's mm-hmm. there's just a lot that comes into it that we never had to think about before. And what it does is, you know, so you introduce strategy. And the reason why some of these games go on, used to go on for like 15, 16 innings, you had everyone up there just trying to hit home runs. Everyone was up there trying to hit a home run to end it. And now there's an option out there to lay down a bunt or not even bunt. You can just ground a ball over to second base and get the guy to third mm-hmm. base and now you got a better shot. So I so right. I like the introduction to, to introducing more strategy into a game that it has less and less strategy each year. Yeah, I totally got you, man. Like that, you're right about everybody just trying to knock it out of the park and stuff. And this whole thing right here, like I just love that at least gives somebody to score right away. So like if you are very strategic about everything and you know mixed with a little bit of luck and skill as far as hitting the ball goes, mm-hmm. you could wrap the you could wrap this up in one in one set of, you know, like one full inning or whatever. There's no reason to, or even be put in the position where you're going to be having like a 16 or 17 inning game and shit. It's just it's just crazy, dude, like when they go on that long. And I I can't remember. I was in a game that was in a really long rain out one time. Like we were in the, we were in Jacobs field to like, like 1130 at night and stuff. Uh, this one time, like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And the stadium is like dead. You, they're opening it up. You could walk in off the street, dude, right. without a ticket and just go right in there and stuff. When it gets to be that late, nobody wants to be there. The players don't even want to be there. So, and because there's no clock, Look, an inning can go. One inning could last forty-five minutes if, if that's mm-hmm. what it takes to get through the inning. So this whole thing, it just it addresses one of baseball's like I, I think one of the biggest things that they battle in terms of like trying to hook in new members and new people. It just basically gives a speeding up element to the game that for a sport that's usually on the slower side and not yep. necessarily about speed. Yep, exa- exactly. It speeds the game up, and also those those fifteen, sixteen inning games, those games kill a pitching staff for days afterwards. So you're not going to mm-hmm. have, you know, I, mean, I guess it could still happen in theory. You could still have like an 18 inning game, even with those, uh, even with the new rule. Um, but you're unlikely to have it happen. So you're unlikely to completely bo- blow out your bullpen for like the next week. Right. That's true. Yeah, exactly. The amount of arms that you have to take to even win in some of this stuff, it mm. just fucks up all you, everybody's rotation, all that kind of yeah. thing, for sure. Uh, how, about, uh, how about something that you, you didn't really like? Okay, so this right here, I, I got to just let me explain this, then kind of react to it, I guess. Um, for I know that we're in the pandemic, okay? Like, I know this, I get it, okay? I'm not, like, I guess I just didn't like, and I loved the abbreviated season, but it just didn't really feel like a baseball season. Like, I always associate summer with baseball mm-hmm. and everything, and not having the longer season, it just kind of, like, took away this 
element of my life with summer and baseball that's always been around yeah and i guess i was like i was kind of like nostalgic for that i missed it this particular year and like i said i love what they did with the with the games and everything just having that weight on it and stuff but as far as like Adam Chmielewski's like you know personal like one of the connections that he has to the sport. The fact that we weren't able to have the relationship with the team the the full spring and summer, I think, is something that we lost out on. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you there. It just there there's a nice rhythm if you're a sports fan anyway, and in a town with a baseball team, obviously, there's like a nice rhythm to the summer when you have, especially if you have a, a competing baseball team. You know, you have the Dodgers, mm-hmm. the Indians, the Yankees, uh, the Twins in your town, you know, uh, the, the Cubs or the Sox in Chicago. There's like a nice rhythm to it that like you and I could, you know, after work, if we wanted to, you know, pop a game on the TV, drink a beer or go down to the bar, watch, you know, watch the game there with some friends or whatever. It, it, there's a rhythm to it. And there right. was just no for a long time. There was no rhythm, period. Um, when we, I remember when we talked about that in our first pandemic sports episode, there was just like any rhythm to like the day to day life without sports came to a screeching halt, screeching halt. So I, I'm right, 100% there with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, dude, you ever notice how, like, if let's just say like on a Sunday in the summer, like, you know, you would you yourself looking for something to do, you maybe want to go have a couple drinks, but you just don't want to be the guy who go gets loaded in the bar on a Sunday afternoon. Hey, there's an Indians game on. Yep. You could go do this kind of stuff. Like, you know, it, it gives you a, the opportunity to get out of the house. It gives you the opportunity to be in bars with fans that are doing the exact same thing. And even just like the whole thing of going down to the ballpark, like baseball is like one of the only sports that really emphasize the whole, like coming down to the ballpark mm-hmm. thing. You don't see, you don't see the NFL being like, Hey man, come on down to this. The NFL don't, they don't need to do that shit. You know what I'm saying? And baseball, like, you know, mainly because it's not as popular as football. They really have to put that emphasis on there. Come down to the games, take your family. We'll make all kinds of ticket deals and lower costs of parking, all that stuff. They really put forth that effort to get people to come down into the stadium and we just we just didn't have that this year you know like there wasn't just the whole like hey let's go kill a sunday afternoon at the dodger stadium or progressive field Mm -hmm. or whatever we didn't have that yeah no absolutely um and i'm gonna kind of add to that it's it's sort of um in a similar manner like i really enjoy getting those series once a year when the yankees come to town the Sox come to town um you know Really, kind of, we kind of missed out on the opportunity to boo the fucking shit out of the Astros um, when they came mm-hmm. to town. So, you know, obviously that's that's more of a fan thing there. But just because like the limited travel, um, it was it was actually kind of cool. Like, I haven't, I don't think we've seen the Cardinals in a while. I don't think we've seen the Cubs since the World Series. I could be wrong, but I don't think we've seen the Cubs since the World Series. Um, we, we haven't seen the Brewers in several years. So it was interesting to see those teams. But I kind of miss mm-hmm. the teams that we. You know, like, for whatever reason, there's always, like, a wild series when the Indians go to Toronto. And similarly, because because Cleveland is actually the closest American League city to Toronto, a lot of Canadians come down and catch the ball game here in Cleveland. And it's a really interesting atmosphere. And, you know, obviously, the crowd-wise, it wouldn't have mattered anyway because there were no crowds. But I did kind of miss seeing those those kind of teams pop up at the schedule. Yeah, of course, dude. Like, whenever you have those teams that, like, that one, like, really – you know, crazy series or like when the Cubs come to town or something, it's a team that normally doesn't come to town all that often. And even like Milwaukee and stuff like that. We love the whole like Rust Belt rivalries. Mm-hmm. Like these like really generate a certain energy and atmosphere. Like even if you're not in the stadium, like even if you're just in like the local bars or even like at Panini's out on East 9th street, watching the game, like there's something about this, 
kind of like cool inertia that sports teams bring to communities and to people and everything like that. And we, we didn't really get the opportunity to experience. We didn't really get the opportunity to go to Panini's on the, on East night to yep. watch the game. You know, yep. it was just kind of like a, yeah, we're going to do it at home. You kind of watch on your own time, I guess. Like, yeah, it was just, I don't <laughs> right. know. It was just really, really different. <laughs> How about a, how about a, what are the temporary rule changes that you think are going to stick around, um, you know, in the coming years? Okay, I I'm really banking on this universal DH thing, and I know that the collective bargaining agreement is they have to kind of renegotiate all that stuff. So I don't know if it's going to be something that they could just kind of like magically put in there for the 2021 season. Un- unlikely, yeah, unlikely, very unlikely. But I would love for that to come back. It's I'm telling you, like the National League, seeing what the Dodgers were able to do while having a DH in their lineup for the World Series was incredible. It gave them so much power into that lineup and stuff like that. And to put a pitcher in there, and like I know that there are baseball traditionalists, and believe me, part of me even part of me even loves the idea of the pitcher going to bat. It just kind of seems natural. But however, pitchers aren't necessarily the greatest hitters. This is basically a waste of an offensive position. It's, it's an out. Pitcher it's in an the out. Lineup. 99% of yeah. the time, it's an out. Yeah, so why not give somebody who's able to add an offensive element there? It'll, number one, generate a lot of home runs. That's what everybody loves about baseball is home runs. And also, like, more offense in general and stuff like that. It gives, like, a seasoned hitter. Like, you could have a guy like the Edwin Encarnacion's of the world and stuff like that that they're maybe a little bit on the older side and stuff and they could still swing a bat bring one of those guys in there it could be a very easy economical pickup for your team that is just there to hit the fucking ball you know what i'm saying and it's just a really great addition to the team it's something that um as a person who has had an american league team to root for it's something that i've been adjusted to like my entire life you know part of me is like what they still the pitcher still hit in the national league sometimes so i i hope that this rule sticks around um i the other one i I do love the seven inning double hitter header rule but that one i'm i don't think that that one's going to be around there's just something about it i don't see it being around but the dh hopefully that's the one i'm rooting for yeah, I think I think the DH. You're you're right. The collective. I think if so, it won't be next year. But whenever they do, um, uh, do go, you know, they have to sign their next CBA and do the collective bargaining. I couldn't imagine that the, that the DH won't be in there. That's sixteen or fifteen more jobs for someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for some and 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 a better chance for a team like the St. Louis Cardinals to keep Albert Pujols, for example. Yeah. In, in in St. Louis for his entire career. That's part of the reason why he went to the Angels. Um, obviously, it was a pay, you know it was for a little bit more money, but you know he plays a lot of DH in addition to first base there. He plays mostly DH and some first base there. Um, so you know like a you know we for a long time the American League had a huge advantage um, in these interleague games. Uh, you know when the National League teams came to, uh, to came to the American League parks because there isn't a David Ortiz on the Cincinnati Reds. Like they're just right. a guy like that just doesn't exist there, but he does in the American League. Um, so I think that one's that one's just going to be for that one's going to end up ha- being there probably by twenty twenty two if if maybe even next year, but probably twenty twenty two. I think the runner on second base is going to happen by twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. I really do. They're they're trying it out in the minor leagues. They have been for the past couple of years. And we, you know, we finally got to see it um, at the national, at the you know, the professional, the major league level, excuse me, this past year. And like even people that were skeptics of it, like me, um, like you know, here locally, uh, Bull and Fox were both. Oh no, just Bull was a skeptic of it. He loves it. 
everyone has yep. kind of come, you know, done a 180 on it because they see, you know, this can end extra inning games quicker. And also there's like, anything can kind of happen um, for the, you know, like anything can happen in that 10th inning uh, when we get there. So it's, it's definitely more exciting, but I actually, I do think that at some point in time, the seven inning double header is going to stick. Um, I, just because it does save time, it saves, it saves, uh, pitching arms. It saves a lot of moves, uh, from the minor league team to the pro team. Um, potentially I've even heard an idea that like, you know, cause we used to do double headers like on Sundays, just, mm-hmm. you know, that's how baseball went double header game on Sundays that you could do. You could go back to doing that now with two seven inning games on a Sunday. Oh yeah, dude. Like I'm telling you, I, I hope that that's the one. I hope that that makes it, um, like I, I just I see if it happens, it's going to be a couple of years out and everything. And I'm really happy that you're all about the um, the runner on second being around, like because that that was one in my own mind. I didn't think that that would be one that they would adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing knowing with your insight in baseball and everything like that, hearing that you're a supporter of this makes me so much happier because I believe that that is something that would do wonders for the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this. This seven inning doubleheader thing, I just think that this is this is like a logical conclusion. Like I can't even believe they didn't think about this like earlier. And it makes so much sense. If you're talking about like, you know, what you're gonna do pitching wise and everything and saving arms and all that kind of stuff, and even being able to fit two games like that on a Sunday, yeah, this is great. Pack it on in there because you're gonna need like with I guess like and I'm going to get all like, you know, I'm going to bring in some climate science here. But I have noticed, at least like when I lived in Ohio, that the winter seemed to last a lot longer. OK, so we were talking you're going into May and it's like cold outside mm-hmm. and everything like that. And unfortunately, cold weather has a tendency of bringing rain and sleet and snow and all that shit. So if you're going to be looking at rain delays and snow delays and everything like that in the beginning of the season for some of these cold weather markets, being able to fit a double header on just like a random Sunday that's seven innings each game, I think is a really good idea. And I got to tell you, like, I don't, I don't know um, if the ninth inning or eighth inning comebacks are this something that happens all the time. I mean, God only knows, like whenever they do happen, it seems to get a lot of media attention, but I personally believe that if you're playing two games back to back, there's nothing that you can do there's nothing that you can't do with seven innings that you could do with nine right or something like that yeah. uh, you're gonna see 14 in, if, regardless you're gonna see 14 innings at least of baseball yeah that's a lot of fucking baseball yeah. and believe me if, if it's a tie game you might end up getting nine in, nine innings anyway yep, yep absolutely so I, I i don't yeah I, I like that one quite a bit and that's also a way like if you were to do scheduled double headers like every sunday let's say or even saturday it doesn't really matter um that's a way to shorten the season without without lessening the amount of games that you could cut off a couple of weeks of the season and get you know get into playing playoff baseball when it's a little bit nicer out, and especially for us in the Midwest and like in the Northeast. Yeah, that's a really good point too. I can imagine like if we were to get into the playoffs and you didn't have to deal with that um, October brisk that hits the that hits Cuyahoga County and stuff like that. You know, it is actually like nice end of September weather. You're looking at a completely different game. Mm-hmm. Um, real quickly here on the playoffs, the baseball playoffs, uh, something you liked and didn't like about that format. Okay. So with the things that I liked about the format, um, I love the three series in the opening rounds. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that that was really cool. Okay. Like I, part of me does really like the whole five and seven game series and stuff like that in sports. Like, I I guess I've just kind of gotten accustomed to it over years, over the years, like just going that long. 
but there's no reason for these opening rounds to, to go that long. And right. I remember when, when the NBA, like the, the NBA used to have a, the opening round was five, five games, games. I, yep. most, most of my life. Right. And I, I remember when they switched over to seven, it really seemed just like a desperate money play almost like there was just no reason yep. to play these games, but Hey, we could put them on TV and make money. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I don't know. There's something about, baseball the way that they did that this year and if you lose one game you're immediately facing elimination which raises the stakes of the entire series so i really dug this about the um the opening round of the uh the playoffs and everything and the thing that i didn't like um okay i am not all about the expanded playoffs going forward i think it worked good this year it worked okay um and with the shortened season and everything like that i think it's like a fair compromise but this is something that I, I just don't want to see going forward. I think it kind of cheapens the the long, lengthy regular season if you start to open up more playoff spots. I think what they have it at right now is pretty good, but there is a change that I want to recommend, which I'll get to when we get to it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you all the way on that. That opening round, uh, the way the wild card round was set up, where it just first off that the one day we had every single team playing in the playoffs mm-hmm. one day that was. That was really awesome. Um, yeah, obviously I'm not going to sit here and watch. I can't even watch every game, but like it was really nice that like I was sitting here working that day. I could just flip the channel, and there were yeah. like there were games on like wall to wall. It felt, if you know, it felt like a lot like March Madness. That's yeah. Exactly. From you wake up in the morning, although I think it was like twelve, like was the first game, but um, basically just from noon until about ten o'clock at night, there was baseball on. So that was awesome, um, and I really enjoy that. Like you're the you know. If you are the lower wild card seeded team, that you have to go, you know, your every game is being played at your opponent's stadium. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, that's pretty sweet too. Yeah, you bet. Like the whole, I don't know, home field advantage and stuff like that. I think it actually means more if you're the lower seeded team and you go in there and just you know take it home right then and there. I think that that it means something and it gives mm-hmm. the team that they're able to do it a little bit of extra momentum going into the next round. Yeah. I I'll tell you what I'm 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 with you on the I don't think you need I, I'll, I'll get into this I'll, I have a little bit more for this in a little bit I don't think you need to expand the playoffs going forward but for this season it made perfect sense however I still disagreed with taking the top two teams from each division it should have just been the seven best records from each division and then we okay. s- then we separate them from there um, because because you had this is uh, this is just more like kind of personal stuff, but you did have one team that was under 500 get into the playoffs, and that was the Houston Astros. And mm-hmm. for that matter, the Houston Astros shouldn't be in allo- shouldn't have been allowed in the fucking playoffs. Um, right. First and foremost, um, it, it's it basically if you do this, if you do something similar, if they do expand, I hope it's not just well the top two teams in each division. No, just make it. Obviously, the top teams in each division; those are your, you know, those are your champions, if you will. Those are the, the teams getting the home field advantage, and then, and then from there, just go with the best records. Like that makes the most sense to me. So I, I didn't really like that. Like the Astros, almost as an obligatory, had to go. Right. It almost kind of seemed a little bit like force, and because they were the only team that wasn't under five hundred, or sorry, wasn't above five hundred, it just I don't know. It almost kind of seemed like a um, like a token kind of hey, we're going to throw this team in there just as a storyline kind of thing. But the league's most hated team in there as a storyline, and they, god damn it, 
they almost got to the World Series, and I would have been so fucking pissed <laughs> off if they did. Um, that's that's just a Rob Manfred mistake. They should have. He didn't when when basically he granted anyone from the Astros immunity from punishment. He didn't even like bother to negotiate with the players' union or the Houston Astros on punishment. He just said, "Well, don't worry about it. Just give me all all the information. You guys will be fine." And then when it came to light, actually, how sophisticated and duplicitous the Astros setup was, it wasn't like there there's a guy at second base shooting hand signals to the batter. There's cameras, recording equipment. There's iPads being used. There was, you know, what I mean? like this was really mm-hmm. in depth. Um, I, they're using Apple watches. Like this was like really, really well thought out. Um, so even if you didn't want to punish each individual player, okay, whatever. They should have been barred from being in the playoffs this year. That should have been the punishment. Oh, oh, without a doubt, dude. Like without a doubt. I mean, like I still, it kind of just, it's almost like the thing with the Penn state thing. Like the school does all this shit four years later, they're, you know, a, a top 10 team or yeah. something like that. Like, and I know Penn state is a little bit different, but I just feel that at some point in time, they're just, I don't know, man, it should just be like actual punishments and stuff like that. Like this whole thing with the Astros just seemed like a, I, like a stupid slap on the wrist just to get this team like, you know, um, just to get this team playing again and then to get them in the playoffs just for media coverage, for talking points, mm-hmm. for tweets, all that kind of shit. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, t- I could totally there. And, and actually, there's a lot of radio hosts that kind of had that same feeling that since there's not really like there's not really many there's not really many teams that have bad blood between each other like they used to back like in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Everyone has bad blood against the Astros. So that's like something to watch. Oh, yeah. And actually, I think it's very healthy for the sport if there is a team that every team hates, sure. you know, and like mm-hmm. that, that fans can hate, too. It's it's always better when you have somebody that is universally not liked. Exactly. How about uh, just anything anything that surprised you from the playoffs? Oh, so really quickly, I think the most surprising thing that happened to me actually turned out to be one of the greatest things that happened to the L.A. Dodgers was when Kevin Cash just removed Blake Snell from Game 6 like, out of nowhere. And, like, I I watched – I did watch, like, a fair amount of Dodgers um, playoff baseball and stuff like that. And I remember watching that game, and I'm sitting there, like, I'm streaming it on my phone, this, like, Facebook community that I'm a part of um, Mm -hmm. was streaming the game. And I'm watching it and everything like that. And, like, you kind of, like, you know, you're kind of, like, you're a little bit nervous and stuff like that because Tampa Bay had shown that they were able to like take a couple games from the, the Dodgers and everything like that. And this guy is just and Blake cutting Snell everybody was up. cruising, cruising. Yeah. Cutting everybody up. And then like, if, I'm not going to remember the specifics, but like, it wasn't like anything super tragic had happened. You know, I think um, somebody got a single or something like that. Maybe one run was given up. No, Kevin no, Cash no, runs. Up. no runs at that. Point. No runs. Okay. No runs at that point. Okay. But yeah, it was like a little, it was just like a little weak single single that found uh, the found uh, the empty part of the shift. Yeah, that's right. And then all of a sudden, this guy's out, and this leads to the Dodgers just basically just running, just running everything on them. Yep. Um, I'm man. I have so much to say about the memes on Twitter after that happened. <laughs> yeah, were outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. Oh, yeah. the, the and the picture, boy. I, I'll tell you what, uh, Blake Snell, and I think this is just a generational thing um, with younger pitchers. Younger players in general, but especially the younger pitchers, they're so used to getting pulled out of games. Could you imagine walking up to like, think of like a like Andy Pettit for the Yankees back in the day, back in the, like the early two thousands, late nineties? Could you imagine Joe Torre walking up to him 
in the, in the sixth inning of a game in which he's winning and he's carving everyone up, and Joe Torre tried to pull him out, he'd fucking punch Joe Torre in the face. Of course, there, there's oh, no yeah, way that would happen. No, without a fucking doubt, dude. Without a doubt, yeah. I that was just such a crazy surprise. You're right. The memes on that were fucking fantastic. And Kevin Kevin Cash still got the uh, coach of the year and everything in the National League. So good for him. Well, you know, because apparently it doesn't. Uh, apparently it doesn't. Uh, they don't take into playoff performance into account. I mean, he. All jokes aside, he seriously deserved it. He's a great manager. That was mm-hmm. an, actually. I'll, I'll go right into. I'll go right into the thing that I didn't like or that surprised me. Excuse me. Um, th- this game has shifted so far towards towards analytics. It's it's bizarre, um, with the massive massive overshifts on guys like, you know, remember when we had Michael Brantley with the Indians? Yet he he was like third place MVP. He's one of the best hitters in the last like ten years. He's a pure hitter. Um, I never saw him get shifted on until this season. Um, they're shifting on a guy that hits like three thirty. That's that's like unheard of. Um, but so massive overshifts. Multiple openers. You have uh, the the Dodgers ran out like who did, who did they start in that game six? Was it um, was it some was a reliever correct or was it Dustin May? No, Tony Gonsolin. Uh, Tony Gonsolin, and you know like all these teams running out openers for like an inning and a half or two innings, and then the starting pitcher comes in the third inning, um, you know because they don't want they don't want them to face too many hitters or whatever, and then for that Blake Snell situation. That's an analytics-driven decision. You can't even convince me that Kevin Cash in his gut felt like Blake Snell, who, facing the top of the Dodgers order, had them 0 for 9 with 5 strikeouts. You couldn't tell me that Kevin Cash thought, ooh, boy, I had a bad feeling about this. That was analytics telling him, time to get this guy out, time to get let these guys see a new pitcher. When, mm-hmm. you know, even 10 years ago, Blake Snell is out there until that game is over. Until he either... He either blows it himself or he wins. No, you're definitely right about that. And like this, it speaks to this like larger battle between sports minded people and analytics and stuff like that. And you can, you have basically a whole lot of history of sports minded people and everything like that, that you can hang a lot of, you know, contributions, accolades to whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you have this modern form of analytics which has also got some, it has some things that accolades and everything that it could hang its hat on as well. So I'm like, what I see, I, there's, you're right. Like from a managerial perspective, I would, I would not have pulled that guy out after a single, like absolutely not. But there's this part of the game that's being conquered by analytics. And it's not just with baseball, it's football and basketball as well. And sometimes Like, I, I hate to say this because, like, numbers don't lie, but sometimes they're wrong, I guess might be the yeah. way to put it or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, you're right. It's a completely an analytics move. This move would not have happened 10 years ago. And I, th- I think that in the fight of sports-minded people versus analytics, this is kind of like one punch to the face on behalf of the, uh, sport. Yep. like this is one where the sports people, like they won on this one. Like, oh, 100%. This is not something that should have been done. You can, you know, and like the, so like uh, just the, you know, the nationals won the year before and you know, like they use, they use their fair share of analytics, obviously, but, but how they won the world series, Dave Martinez put the ball into Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg and Corbin and uh, Patrick Corbin's gloves and said, go out there and win. You're, you're, there's a reason why we're paying you three guys $200 million collectively or, th- or whatever it is over the next several years. Go win games. 
and that's how they won. That they just their their pitching went out there and won it. And when you have a fucking a Cy Young Award winner, one of the best pitchers in the, in the MLB, and he is clearly feeling it, and no one can. Mookie Betts looked like he had he was swinging a pool noodle, like he he was up there without <laughs> a prayer. And then you could almost see the relief on Betts's face when Snell went out. Like, mm-hmm. thank God this guy was kicking my ass today. Someone knew. Yeah, and he got a home run later on in that game, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yep, exactly. So yeah, that whole taking him out of there, that was the, that was the breaking of the dam that allowed the Dodgers to win the World Series yep. for sure. Uh just any a quick recommendation uh for the playoffs going forward. Okay, so I was a big fan of this best of 3 kind of thing as we talked about before. Yep. I think that that should go forward. Okay, yep. and I'm going to explain my I'm going to explain my point of view just really quickly and that is you're never going to find a bigger fan of the one game playoff than me. My God, do I fucking love mm-hmm. that? But it's so out of character for the sport. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like there are no individually set games, everything. The team comes into town for a series. You're always talking about if the Indians are going to take the series, did they sweep the so-and-sos and they're even taught using this language when it's June and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I, th- I think that, um, as much as I like it, it's definitely not in character for the sport. And a compromise would be to make the wild card round a three game shootout and then begin the playoffs from there. I agree with you 100%. That's exactly what I was going to say. You don't need to expand to 14 teams or, or you know whatever, but for sure that opening that opening round for sure has to be not 14, 16 teams. Um, that opening round. I think I said 14 twice now. Um, but that opening round for sure, that wild card series, at least, basically, at least give me two games. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. we're going to at least play two games, and if we play three, that's even better. And you know what? That I think the idea is to kind of reward um, the idea of that wild card game is kind of, to kind of reward the team that did have the best overall record. Well, they're really going to get rewarded now for having the best overall record because you're going to play a team that played at least two games prior to you even you know even putting your cleats on. Yeah, of course, dude. Yeah, it, it just it's going to add so much, I think. And yeah. I, I, just, I don't know, man, like the one the one game thing. I was very, very excited about that. I still am. But it just doesn't fit. It just it, there's something about it that just looks off when you're looking at playoff brackets and all that stuff. It just I don't know, man. I think in a one game scenario, that's when you you pull your starter early. You you do all the stuff that you wouldn't normally do in a in a one game series. Um, so I think even in the one game series, the baseball gets played very differently too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Like if you just going in the if you just have the one game, pull your starting. Just go all out. Give them relief. Give them the bullpen. Yep. Give them the the closer and stuff like that. You could lay it on pretty thick and everything. It's a different strategy. Yeah. But I, I just think that it might it might not be enough. Like we don't get enough to see who is going to be able to like the, be the true champion and stuff like yeah. that. I just don't think it's, you're capable of deciding it in one game in baseball, football. Yes. Baseball. No. Right. Exactly. I agree with you there. All right, Chumma. Now let's talk about, let's talk about the bubble boys. Um, the NBA and the NHL bubbles, um, which obviously worked. Uh, both those, both those leagues reported no coronavirus cases once they were inside the bubble. That's pretty, Pretty fucking amazing um, what they did. So for sure, that's a, that's a big feat that they pulled it off. But I am really curious, Chema, how much of either the NBA or NHL, and neither of us are NHL fans, so I'm going to assume it's that it's going to be significantly lower viewing. Pretty much mostly asked about the NBA here, but nonetheless, um, how much of either either league did you watch once they once they got into their bubbles? 
Okay, so you're 100% right. I watched, like, no hockey. I'm not going to lie, mm-hmm. man. Like, the, the, the Kings didn't make it and stuff. I didn't get the opportunity to, to watch. I just just didn't do it. Um, NBA, I watched. Uh, I caught in. I got into it a, a, not right away, but um, kind of as things got closer to the playoffs and everything, as I kind of found out how to watch Lakers games out here and stuff like that. Um, that's just I'm leave that at that. Um, it's very difficult for me to watch regular TV, but I found out how to do it. So um, as things kind of progressed a little bit, I got to see a little bit more, a little bit more games. Um, it wasn't something that I got super locked into. Like the Cavs weren't there. Um, the Lakers were a fairly dominant presence throughout most of the season. So the two teams that I do follow, um, one wasn't there. One kind of was a shoe in to make it. So, my attention became a little bit tighter on the NBA as we got into the playoffs. Gotcha. Yeah, I I watched what amounted to about I don't know two thirds of a hockey game. Um, okay. And then I and then Chema, I'm usually like a pretty big basketball fan, um, especially with the playoffs. You know, it's we can finally like we can finally cut off all the garbage teams like the Cavs and everyone else, and like let the real teams play. And I, I think I watch what amounts to two and a half whole games. And I, I, it, I at least for me, Chema, because obviously like I'm kind of side-eyeing Le- anything that LeBron James does. I'm just intrigued. But like the way these sports had to isolate themselves, I was kind of put off by it. Just put okay. off by everything. And I, I think that it's because, you know, NBA and NHL are arena sports. And arena sports are ten times better with a noisy, loud crowd. Ten times better. And they just yeah, it's didn't have it. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you on that one, man. I will, I'm telling you, that is a big thing, okay? Like, there's something about the atmosphere that was that was definitely a little off, okay? Like, to say the least, anyway. And um, I guess not having that element was... I guess maybe like something that I didn't really think about till now, but it just, it seemed incomplete, I guess is what I'm saying Mm -hmm. here. It didn't seem like the full package that I'm used to, that I'm used to doing, seeing or whatever. And I I know that they did the best they could. I I know that, believe me, these, these people, and it's not about, you know, the, it's not about like the, the people in the stands is about keeping the players and everybody in there safe and stuff like that. You know, so I'm not, not like shitting on the NBA efforts here at all. But it just it seemed really incomplete. And there's even like, I don't know, man, it's kind of like a laugh track on like a comedy show where there are some times where like maybe I guess it's like nice to be told when to laugh. Yes. And there are some times yes. where maybe, maybe it's nice to be told to get excited about something. And I'm watching the games and uh, it's not like. Okay, this is the best way to describe it. At no point in time did I ever stand up and do like a cha-ching with my arm, you know, like mm-hmm. the big bring in your forearm close to you. And I'll, and that's kind of a lot of the fun of watching sports is to, you know, kind of, you know, I guess, like fictitiously live through the players or something like that in the comfort of your own home or to, to feel that excitement. And the crowds in the arena sports, I mean, when you're seeing like everybody all wearing the same colors and stuff, and I mean, you just know when it's like a, like a home game and everybody and the home team's going crazy and shit, or even like when the visitors pull off an upset and everybody just goes silent and mm-hmm. stuff like the crowd really helps build the 
the theatrical elements of what you're of what we're watching, like the, the emotion to get everybody hooked in, to get them involved. It's just such a part of arena sports. Yeah. No, it's like, you know, like I love how you put that. It's like a laugh track for, for a sitcom. Like you're told when to laugh, like, you know, there's, you know, let's say that, uh, you know, again, even though we're not big NHL fans, I just kind of have, this feels like I used to go to Bowling Green hockey games. And mm-hmm. that those were very crowded, actually. Um, you know, BG hockey was probably still big time, but certainly was big time uh, when I went. And you know, and in the eighties and nineties, BG hockey was big time. Um, so that so Anderson Arena used to be packed, and like it, it is sort of like that idea of like you know that extra man on the field or whatever, or the, you know, the extra man on the ice in that case, kind of being there where you have a crowd that is like real into it, real loud. Um, you know, you punctuate like a big momentum changing goal with like the crowd going crazy, banging on the glass. It's, it, it's, you know, in the game that I watched, I believe it was, um, it was, it wasn't the cup finals. It was like one of the earlier rounds, um, that, that was on NBC. And I just remember like, there's a pretty substantial goal, like late in the third period. And like, there's cheering and music and some like sirens and stuff going off, but there's no, you know, there aren't, there aren't like a a throng of fans banging on the glass and like waving their, you know, waving their towels and shit. It just felt, it's, it just felt empty. It, I mean, yeah. literally it was empty, but I mean like the, this moment that should be huge that everyone should be responding to just felt a little empty. Yeah, of course. Like there, it's all of these moments, like feel like 85% of their significance. You know I mean? It, when you're the players, I guarantee you that's like the greatest fucking thing oh, in the for world. Sure. Somebody yeah. got that last minute goal. But when you're, watching it at home it's just the whole thing is incomplete and like i guess like the way i would look at it is let's just say it's all like a like a step process that happens in your mind and it happens so fast you don't even know that it's happening okay like and we're conditioned to like watching the television seeing the live crowd seeing something happen uh, in the game and then the reaction from the crowd and when you remove those parts it like removes like these links in the chain so now the chain is broken and there's just like this disconnect and while you are watching the exact same you're watching the athletes you're watching the jerseys you're watching the you're watching the sport but because it's not a complete package it creates like a disconnect in your mm-hmm. mind and everything whether it be visually or audio something like that and yeah yeah the the chain just broken you know it's not a solid chain so it just you kind of are like standing there feeling unfulfilled or feeling like something is missing yeah yep absolutely it, it's like a you're looking at like a looking at like a painting a famous painting that you're very familiar with and it's like missing one color and it's, yeah. <laughs> it's the same painting but it's like well, that doesn't look right right yeah 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 exactly ex- that's exactly that's exactly what it is there's just something that's completely like just off about it you know what i'm saying and it's just them unfortunately being a victim of the circumstances yeah. you know what i'm saying like all those people they want to play in front of the crowds and everything and i i can't even imagine like how some of these athletes maybe played this season because they weren't able to feed off the crowd energy and everything like there's got to be like there's got to be at least a couple of players that um, like kind of similar to what we were talking about with baseball and you can even apply this to baseball too where the psychology of some of these players that maybe get really worked up with a crowd behind them, them not having it, sure. it may have affected their performance in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. For, oh, I don't doubt that one bit. I mean, I don't I don't think the players will necessarily, you know, cop to that or admit to it necessarily, but mm-hmm. for sure. I, I, I don't I don't doubt that there's at least one guy in every team, every team, across all of these sports, that kind of felt 
like they were missing something that there wasn't there wasn't that extra bit of juice uh, there this season. Yeah, 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 dude. And I'm telling you, even like just the whole element of you performing in front of people that support you and stuff like uh, there's just there's something about when you take that away, like that is a big piece of the puzzle. And I'm not going to lie, like originally I was a little bit like, yeah, I'm sure that's not that big a deal. But the more and more I thought about it, it's a big deal. Like mm-hmm. it is a big deal. Like I, like LeBron not having the ability to do the um, the resin throw in front of the audience and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like you take out these these pieces of a routine and it could just like affect you psychologically, especially in a lifestyle that is very, very routine driven. Yep. Nope, 100% to 100%. Um, so what was the strangest aspect of watching either of these sports? Okay, so um, we did, I'm going to use what we talked about to springboard into this. I'm going to get a little specific here. And like the strangest thing for me was the NBA and that the, vo- the board of audience members. Okay? <laughs> now, like when it comes to baseball and what we're seeing in football, they're still using the stadiums, okay? So I'm still seeing those stupid as shit signs for the dog pound in Brown Stadium. You know, those mm-hmm. ones where it looks like a fence and everything like mm-hmm. that, like something out of like a cheap haunted house. I can't stand that. I love the idea of the dog pound. Hate that they had to advertise it like that. Yep. If it's a dog pound, you shouldn't have to advertise it. But anyway, and it's nowhere near what it was in the 60s and 70s. So it's nope. more like a dog like a dog park, I guess. <laughs> the dog park. <laughs> the dog park. So like um, so I, I'm used to seeing bad aesthetics and everything like that. And there are, you know, there are new stadiums, like SoFi Stadium and everything like that I've never seen before. But however, the imagery of what I'm seeing is familiar enough to where I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that's a, you know, that's an empty stadium that they're playing in. And the cutouts, while you could see the cutouts, they are just what they are. I don't really think that the cutoffs, uh, the cutouts were in detail. I don't think the cutoffs, cutouts are distracting. I just think it looks like people in a stadium that I've seen a whole bunch of mm-hmm. times. But with this video board, man, dude, like they just, I don't know, all the stupid like people zooming in and watching the game and all the different color tones. And I actually kind of liked when they would put like a singular message or something on there, whether it be black lives matter mm-hmm. or three pointer or something like that, that looked awesome. Like it that did, was yeah. like almost like being at the game. But when you cut to these, this stupid idea of digitally projecting human beings on there, it just, it was seemed like it was too noisy. It was too messy. It kind of looked really corny at times. And I don't know, it, that was the part that looked really like half-assed or not, thought entirely through you know what i'm saying it's just there's something about that that it it didn't create the atmosphere of an arena it actually kind of cheapened it or it it loosened it or something like that you know it wasn't the same and it kind of didn't have the i don't think it had its intended effect no, and we have the same thing here. So I'm glad you're. I'm glad you were also okay. settled <laughs> by this wall of faces. Um, it 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 just sort of, it I think it cheapened for sure. It also had this very sort of like, I'll describe it as like Orwellian effect. Like, like these are these are the people that are like paid to monitor your every movement as they watch you. Like. It, just something, something from like a very dystopic future, is what mm-hmm. it felt like. Um, and then add to it, like you're right, like it, it was really disjointed because like it's not like everyone was wearing a Lakers shirt, like you know, like with a classic like gold Lakers jersey or something. Um, mm-hmm. You just had people just like in hoodies and or t-shirts that like didn't match, so, like the color, the colors were off. 
you get people at various points if you watch just like not watching the game so like you could see right. someone just sort of like mentally checking out looking at their phone or something um you know or you might catch a little wayne smoking weed um right. during during one of these feeds it just was really disjointed and weird and then additionally like it was delayed so like you'd have this like i remember this one video of i think it's i think it's I, yeah, it's Anthony Davis lobbing... Oh, it's Anthony Davis' three-pointer um, to win that game against... Was it against, like, Denver or Portland? Oh, they... It would have been... Um, it would have been Portland. I think Portland. the Nuggets played somebody else. The Nuggets played um, oh, the Clippers in the... Um, uh, yeah. That, their series, yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, so it was against Portland, and um, <clears throat> it's that three-point dagger that, that Anthony Davis hit, and it's like the ball... You know, the bucket goes in, the Lakers start cheering... And you see, like, everyone in the background just sort of, like, blankly staring at, like, mm-hmm. just staring at yeah. it because they're, they're waiting for the play to happen. And then, they, and then you know, three, four seconds later, they go nuts. So, like, the timing was off on it, too. It was so fucking strange. You're right. It was cool when they just had, like, a big graphic up. Someone had hit a three-pointer. They'd have, like, the big three points. Like, that was pretty cool. Um, it was also pretty cool that, like, we got camera angles that we would never get otherwise. But... That that board of that board video board of faces from like something straight out of the fucking Matrix that was weird as fuck. Yeah, I like what you say when you say it's Orwellian because it does draw a lot of comparison to that Apple commercial that they drew from 1984. That's yeah. like the big screen and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like while I I I know that there's movie iterations of 1984 out there somewhere, but that's like the for every time that I think of like the big screen being all like in your face and shit, that's the first thing that comes yep. to my mind is that Apple commercial. You should have thrown a sledgehammer at it. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I almost came. It came pretty close, especially the game that the Lakers lost, um, where they gave it to Danny Green and he laid that egg. So yeah, oh, a sledgehammer yeah. was almost it was almost a part of this equation. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that these? that these sports that the NHL and the NBA were the most negatively affected by the pandemic? Oh, of course. Yeah. Without, without a doubt. Like, so, um, like I said, I know baseball had a struggle. Okay. Like they basically had to piece a whole 100, 160 games and do all that. They had a struggle. I'm not taking anything away from what baseball had to go through, but the NBA and the NHL had to stop their season. Like they had to, they had to cut it, you know. And granted, they were like about sixty percent of the way through, maybe seventy five percent of the oh, way yeah, through. Oh yeah, it was more like seventy five, eighty percent. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But they still had to cut it, and it's not necessarily the cutting; it's the taking the athletes out of that environment, mm-hmm. having to put them at home, having to be like, okay, guys, so, like, I know how you're used to, like, getting up, driving to the facility, having access to a world-class, like, set of weights and doctors and everything. Well, guess what? Uh, you're going to take your home gym. That's what's going to be, like, from now on. You mm-hmm. know, you, I'm sure these guys ordered stuff. But still, it's taking these people out of the element and then having to bring them back into it and stuff. And not only does that affect the athletes, the bodies, the physical conditions, the mental condition, all that stuff. But it affects the product that you're putting out. Cause like the NBA building up a whole lot of momentum when March comes around, it's like, all right, yeah, the playoffs are finally here. We just sat through four or five months of just like your, your stock NBA regular season basketball and everything. And, um, and then, but they had to cut it short. And then unfortunately, you know, it's not like the country's just, 
biting their fingernails waiting for the NBA to come back. Mm -hmm. The country is at the start of a pandemic. So focuses start to shift. People start to feel economic impacts, like jobs are lost, stress, like depression, all that kind of stuff. Everything is starting to work its way in. And then they go from like whatever it's March to August, I think July or August is when the the season started. Uh, Yeah, baseball started like July 30th and then um, sometime in August, like right after that. The, uh, the NBA yeah. started. Right, right. Yeah, NBA yes, and yes, NHL yes. started. Right. So um, you have, uh, yeah, that's right. Baseball did start a little bit uh, a little bit before them. So you have basically like this momentum that stopped short. Everybody has now been removed from the equation for, you know, five, no, yeah, five months or so, something yeah. like that, four or five months. Four months, yeah. And and then, by, by the way, hey, by the way, now we're just starting back up again. So it's it's hard to recapture that momentum it's hard to get people to get interested in it and i'm not gonna lie like there was even a point in time where i remember all these sports being on and i was just like what's the point of all this we're in a fucking pandemic there's a Mm -hmm. crazy ass election going on there's just all these other things that you know kind of occupy our our headspace and some of these things I, you know, we clearly were not over the pandemic. You know, there's, we're clearly not over the, the race issues in America. We're still trying to sort out the election and everything. And all the pre-election stuff was just a goddamn mess too. So it just like these people got the wind knocked out of their sails. They had to do everything, you know, to get people interested, to come up with a formidable plan and they did it and everything. And that's awesome. But at the same time, they, they're hurting more than just in the pocketbooks mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You, you know, a lot of things were just kind of taken from these teams that other sports did not have to worry about. I hundred percent, you, you said all that really well, so I don't want to like take away from your point <laughs> whatsoever. It's just, you're hundred percent right. There was just so much going on, such a huge delay. And like, I th- that's a big part of it too. Not only like the, the sort of weirdness of what the, the bubble was going to look like for both sports, but just, like, my interest just kind of dwindled. Because, like, there's just so much going There's far more important things going on to occupy our time um, mm-hmm. in our country. That it just, like, that's a that's another huge part of the part of the puzzle. Why me, someone who would normally watch... I'm not going to watch every game that the Cavs aren't involved in, necessarily. But, like, I... You know, I was... Once, once we got to the NBA Finals, I kind of thought, like, maybe I will end up watching most of these games. And I just didn't. I only ended up watching the the one that the Lakers clinched. That was it. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. It's just that there's all these external factors and everything that just weigh into it. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if there's any better time to do it. I really don't know if there's a good time for anything nowadays. But they just they're just a victim of circumstance. You know what I'm saying? It's not yep. their fault that they – these people – went above and beyond the call, like everybody that's involved in this, like even the, the freaking housekeeping staff at the wild world of sports, like everybody went beyond themselves. But in the end, there's just too much going on in the world. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. Um, I do, I do love that. Like it was James Harden, right? He left like a $10,000 tip or something yeah. for like the maid staff. Cause like, could you imagine like clearly like it's, it's Disney, right? So they were going to, they're an evil corporation. Um, so they're probably, they're probably like, you know, the, the people that were working at the bubble, I guarantee you they had them sort of like, you know, if we ca- you know, if we think that you've been out, um, mingling with people who, um, you know, mingling with the rest of the people, we're going to fire you. I guarantee you that 
those people were sort of their lives were suspended for two months as well. Oh, of course, dude. I will guarantee you that Disney plucked all those people from their homes. Like, you, you know, half of you are going to stay here for a month. Maybe we'll give you a day off or something like right. that. And yeah, there's no way in hell that, that they fucked around because there's just, there's too much at stake and whether, okay. So if an NBA player tests positive for the virus and brings it into the bubble, okay, it sucks. It really sucks. And that person's going to face a whole lot of scrutiny online, but they're sort of a little bit of a force field around them. And if, it, but if it was a regular, like if it was just like one of the guys, like the the staff who mm -hmm. helps carry bags and everything, oh my God, that person would have had an example made out of them. Yep. Like you would not believe it would be to the point where I personally feel, I mean, not to mention like somebody losing their, somebody losing their job over that. I'm not going to say that they should. I need to know a little bit more about the circumstance before I can make an honest decision. It's wrong. They're definitely screwing things up. Whether they lose their job is one thing, but the one thing that I feel would definitely happen that's entirely uncalled for is it would be a public shaming of this person yep. like you would not 100%. believe. And mm -hmm. and I got to tell you, that is unfair to the dude who's there making eight fifty an hour pulled away from his <laughs> right. family and stuff. Right. But it would have happened just because Disney is that kind of company. Mm -hmm. Why? We need to blame it on somebody. hundred percent. Dude, exactly. Exactly. Um, so how about a quick quick positive and a quick negative about about playing in the bubble? Okay, so the positive that I have, um, okay, I know you had that thing in parentheses, so this it's not this, it kind of sounds like it, but it's not, but sure. I just, the, the fact that they pulled this off, okay, yeah. like not not just preventing the virus right. from getting in there, but they knocked this out of the fucking park, dude. Like, I, I had a conversation with this guy one time, like, right around the time that this whole thing started, he thought this was a bad idea, like, my God, what the hell are they doing? Like, it's just too lucrative of a virus and stuff. Well, guess what? In the end, these people, they did their jobs, and they, in the craziest of times, in one of the most unusual, this has got to be one of the most unusual things I think I will ever see in my entire life is just how to handle and maintain a virus and just be in this virus and everything. They pulled it off. Like they deserve silver and all these people hats off to them. Like, I don't really know what I could do for them. I don't other than say positive things, but that is the positive. They got through it and they got through it um, without any major, major uh, incidents. And the negative thing that I have is a, uh, I guess like it's just not all the teams were able to compete. I, mean, I don't yeah. know. Like I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is an incomplete season or anything, but you know, it may have kind of stunted a little bit of like player development, especially with the Cavs and all their young talents and everything like that. Um, it just it kind of deprives certain fan bases of the ability to see their teams on the court again. And I don't know. There is, and I've said this before when we did the pandemic sports episode, but there, while it isn't much. It is just definitely something like almost symbolic for every team to in some way, shape or form complete this journey, you know, like mm -hmm. just, Hey, everybody finished it, you know, granted, like half of these teams had no chance of getting into the playoffs. We just brought them down here for the hell of it, but there is definitely something symbolic about that. And I, while I tip my hat to everybody in the NBA, as I just said, I think it would be a little. I think it would be even more special if they got all the teams down there. Yeah, I I am a hundred percent with you on that one. Uh, what, I think the most important thing is like the player development stuff. Like the Cavs are going to go. They're t they're talking about starting the season essentially January first or possibly Christmas. The Cavs are going to go nine months in between playing a basketball game. 
That's and yeah. obviously the, everyone that wasn't involved in the playoffs, they're going to go nine months without playing a basketball game. That is a long, long time to go without playing a basketball game. Um, so there's that, and I, I do like how you brought that up. It does feel like it's a little there's like this sort of unfinished business kind of part of it, where even if the Cavs and the Pistons were out of it, and, and I can't remember who else, you know, even if all those teams were out of it, it would have been kind of nice if they would have made like a second bubble somewhere. And just had these mm-hmm. teams play like a quick, like six to eight game finishing season, finishing part of the season. Like we're just real quickly, we're gonna get some practices in, we're gonna play some games because we we all need to play games at this point. Um, you know, just to keep keep our skills fresh, um, you know, keep keep everything fresh in our minds. Um, and it kind of would have put like a little bit of a, it would have sealed that envelope if you had all the other teams, which is only like I, I think the teams that were invited. There were some playoffs. There were some non playoff teams that were invited. To the bubble, so it only would have been like eight teams, seven teams, something, something like, that. like that. Not not a lot of them. So you could have sure. had them play like a little, you know, a little like round robin tournament or something just to to wrap up the season. And would have felt like it would have felt like for those teams that like we completed this too, we got through the end of it too. Yeah, of course. It's just just a little bit of symbolism, and symbolism might not be anything of substance, but it does mean something in certain contexts. And I yeah. think this is one of these contexts for sure. What, what about you? What are your positive and negatives? Um, since you, I kind of, I kind of went the same direction with the positive. Um, there's some obvious things, like I, I kind of mentioned before, like there's some really interesting camera angles, and like the production values were actually quite high on both of them, um, other than the other than the weird wall of faces. Um, you know, there's some really interesting production values and just the fact that they pulled it off is just, it's a fucking miracle. Um, it really and truly is like when you, you know, it, it helps when you have billions of dollars to, to spend at will, um, on these kind of things. But the fact that they pulled it off was awesome, but it just, again, just sort of like you're, we're missing pieces of this puzzle and it made to, to some degree, it made the environment, and the pun here is 100% intended, it made the environment feel a little too sterile. <laughs> yeah, no, I. that's actually a really good pun. I'm not going to take away anything from that pun. That's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, you, there's definitely a little bit of like this, of the sterility there. I, I can understand what you're saying yeah. about that. It doesn't have the same – this doesn't have the same kind of character, diversity, the same kind of jazz and pizzazz or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Um, how about one, one thing you would have done to enhance either of the bubble sports? Okay. So, like – me personally, I kind of struggled with this one because um, they did a, they covered a lot of a lot of angles. But the one thing that I don't think that they covered was they needed to do something with being inside the bubble other than just sports. So what I was thinking was kind of like a almost like a twenty four seven kind of running kind of show, like just something to give us a little bit more insight as to like what's going on inside the bubble other than just sports. Like, cause I know that there had to be shit that went on there. Like they just, these guys hanging out, something like that. So I'm thinking even just like a, almost like a version of a reality show or something like that, where it's just interviews with the players all the time, you know, maybe like just constant touring of the bubble, what's going on. People, we get to know certain key staff members to learn about how they did the testing, how they handled the whole situation, you know, like if there were any scares, like, did oh my God, did, did like Russell Westbrook or something like that have a false negative one time? Like, how did they react? Like some of those kind of stories I think would be a really good, um, a really good insight into the actual process and not just the product. 
Uh, Chema, you and I had uh, were of the same mind that I I need a behind the scenes documentary uh, for everything that happened. The you know from what what are the the Lakers and the Heat ended up being there for two months, correct? Two full months. Correct. Yeah, even slightly. Yeah, no, two full it was longer. It would be longer. Yeah, it was, yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. like eleven weeks. Um, I you can't tell me that there was some good, sh- especially. I'm sure hockey players get up to all kinds of weird shit, but. <laughs> I really need this behind-the-scenes documentary from the NBA because you know there was one guy got got kicked out for trying to hook up with one of the testers, um, mm-hmm. Daniel House. Um, you know, shit like that was just going on left and right. Oh yeah, dude. I need to know how much money Jimmy Butler's coffee business made in there. Mm-hmm. Like, I I would even take something like take like Bogdan or something like that. Let him go around oh, and host sure. it or whatever. For sure. <laughs> Like that would be awesome, and there's so much there, and there's there's so much there that we don't know about, and we I don't even know if we'll know all of it, but mm-hmm. I hopefully at some point in time we get just some cool like juicy kind of details and stuff like that. Like, uh, that'd oh, be for awesome. sure. We we just and for sure there needs to be a Jr. Cam, just one that follows oh, yeah. Jr. Smith around everywhere he goes. I completely agree with you on that, dude. I know that that guy got into some shit. Like I will guarantee you that there was probably some. Uh, rule-breaking situations that that guy got into that were kept on the DL. I guarantee it. Um, uh, yep, yep, a hundred percent, dude. There's there's a lot of stuff that was kept on the DL in that bubble just because they because the NBA had such control over everything that was going on. Like the, I remember they t- mm-hmm. I remember that time they took um, they you know someone from MB- from the NBA offices came to Jr. to tell him to shut off his Instagram live stream. Um, <laughs> so you I mean. And that was probably pretty benign. He was just like showing off his room and stuff. But you know that the NBA has has proverbial just like a closet full of skeletons from from the from this like eleven twelve week period that everyone was there. Oh yeah, dude. I'm hoping that we learn about something like the um, the sex worker like testing area that they had a separate area for sex workers that were brought in there and stuff. Like there's shit like oh, that. Sure. I know that there's shit involving sure. sex workers. All right, uh, let's pivot to some football here. Um, and this is the, this is the question we talked about this. Um, uh, we talked about this actually twice, but once in a, an actual sports episode, once we just talked about maybe in like a five good minutes or something, but, um, football is currently being played. So Chumba, I got to ask you how in the world did time seem to run out on football so fast for them to react to the pandemic? Dude, I, this may sound very generic, but they bought into the bullshit from the right about the virus, which isn't the first time that the NFL has bought a line of bullshit from the Republican party, mm-hmm. but that's all I got, man. There's nothing else. like they just deny, deny, deny. It's going to go away in two weeks. This whole thing will be nothing. Hey, maybe just a bleach or something like that. You know, they, they were just hoping for all these things that just didn't happen, you know, and they had all the information right in front of them. They're just like, no, 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 no. And, you know, I'm not going to get into like we'll save some of it for a little bit in this conversation, but they're starting to feel the effects of this lack of planning, yep. this lack of embracing reality of the virus. Dude, I, I can't think of anything else other than it's just they bought into a line and got taken for a ride. I, I think there was there's some of that for sure. And I think there's some of the some of this idea that, like, if they just sit and wait, it'll just go away. This hope mm-hmm. that everyone will suddenly, even though there is no evidence that anyone was going to do the proper things to help mitigate the spread of this virus, um, they were just hopeful that it was just going to go away. 
that we, we don't have to do anything. And they did, they took some steps, like they pushed certain dates of things back. Um, you know, the training camp started much later. There's only a couple of weeks of it, you know, no, uh, no preseason. So they did do some things to, to buy themselves some time, but they didn't do enough. They're the plans for, especially, you know, obviously the NFL has like a, a uniform, um, system of, of, you know, of, of coronavirus protocols, but it's, it has to, it just by nature, it has to be somewhat lax because teams wouldn't be able to practice if, if, you know, if we did like the spacing things, if we did everything you're supposed to be doing, how would an NFL team practice? Um, so there's, so there's that. And then just real quickly, um, the NCAA college football, there was no uniformity to co- to their conference protocols. The you know the Big Ten is doing stuff that's different from the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve is doing stuff that's different from the MAC, who's doing stuff that's different from the ACC. There's no uniformity in college, so of course you're going to have some schools like like LSU, who, like their whole team has had it like twice now. Um, mm-hmm. So you of course they're going to get it, and then it looks like you know so far so good with with the Ohio State Buckeyes. So far, no tests have come back positive. So, you know, there's just no uniformity to it. Like, it's it actually, in some, in very many ways, it kind of reflects our national effort to the pandemic. Slapdash kind of stuck together, and we're not really following it anyway. Yeah, that's right. Everybody kind of doing their own thing. No real, like, guidance from a, from a governing body. You know, it's just, hey, by the way, make sure you test. There's quarantine protocols, all that kind of stuff. And, dude, I got to tell you, I still don't even believe that people in the South, like, even have embraced this whole thing as a reality as it is, uh, which is probably why LSU has had the outbreaks that they've had. And it's just, yeah, man, it's just this whole, like, no structure, no nothing. And just, hey, we're going to get lucky or we're a bunch of big, strong ass motherfucking guys. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing's going to be able to stop us. And they're wrong. You know, they're finding out that like, while well, I, I could, I have not done any research on this, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but had there been any fatalities as a result of no. the coronavirus in not, college not, football? Okay. Not in college football, not in pro football, um, and zero idea about high school football, so. Okay, That's, that is awesome news, that's very awesome news, but it does not mean that something cannot happen, you know, these like, it, something could easily happen, especially because they're finding out all this um, shit with the heart and, like, these muscles and, like, shit going on in your heart that happens as a result yeah. of the coronavirus. So they're just kind of winging it and stuff here, you know? It's just like, hey, we're going to roll the dice, see what happens, and unfortunately – you can't really roll the dice and see what happens when you're dealing with a disease that's spreadable. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be some kind of outline direction guidance that unfortunately college football as a whole has not received. Yeah, no, uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know how much, how much a difference would have made if there was sort of like a governing effort for it, but you know, one governing body, you know, putting together a uniform effort, but you know, it's also, I'll, I'll get it, I'll just jump into this right now, um, this next question about, like, you know, like, I'm not surprised that football is being so widely affected, that college football, pro football, I'm sure in places where they're playing high school football, they're getting affected too. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all, because there's there's something that you brought up, you know, that that's, that's a really good point there, I'll get to that in a second, but I think the most important thing is, is that the way football works it's not as it's not as contained as baseball, basketball, or hockey. 
where you have sports that get played frequently. You know, hockey and, and basketball are several games a week. Um, and during the playoffs, mm-hmm. that, that increases even more. You'll have like at least four or five games in a week. Um, baseball, every single day. And the way they did the playoffs, you literally were playing every single day. It's a lot easier to keep people in, even if even if your bubble is sort of, um, isn't as permeable, is more permeable. Like, the, you know, the MLB, they didn't really have a bubble, per se. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's it's a lot easier to keep guys in the hotel when, like, you can just say to them, well, you got a game tomorrow. So, like, why are you going out and doing stuff anyway? Um, right. A lot of harder to say that to NFL players and to college kids when they don't have a game for, you know, a week or in some cases two weeks if they have a bye week. Um, so I think that's, that's like, it's just hard to contain. There's just, I, I don't know what you do. You can't, you can't lock them in Berea. You can't lock the Browns in Berea for, you know, five straight months. Um, right. But additionally, this is, you know, it's football. These are the most macho athletes in our country. Of course they're not going to get sick. And even if they do get sick, they're going to be fine. So that's why you have all these people going out to clubs, going out to dinners, um, you have, you have the, you know, the LSU problem is because these, uh, their players just go out on campus, campus parties and do whatever the feel, do whatever they fuck they feel like. Um, so look, of course these like macho dudes aren't going to be brought down by a virus and that's, well, great. You've just had like two games canceled. So like it was going to that, was going to that party on Saturday or, uh, on a Thursday night, like worth your time. Right, exactly. Like, is that 12-pack of Natty that you just consumed randomly, like, and the fact that you're now, um, your chances of playing for something that you've worked so hard for are now in jeopardy, is all that stuff worth it, yeah. you know? And that's, a, you, you're, okay, number one, I am, I'm not surprised by this either, just to answer the question, mm-hmm. definitely not surprised by any of this stuff. And I just, I don't know what the answer here is, because you're right, with football, there's a lot of breaks in between games. These kids are young kids on a college campus. Like, I don't expect them to do this stuff. However, they should, but I just, I, I just don't expect it. You know, it's just not in human nature to just lock down your opening semester or your opening fall semester of college when you're on the football team. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not how it's done. And like, my thing is, is that like, while I don't agree with everything that they're doing, I think it's wrong. I think it's really careless and dumb. But I just, like, at the same time, I can't get beyond, like, well, what are all these fucking people supposed to do? It's this really weird conflict that, that I have. And am I supposed to, like, tell these guys, like, yeah, you're supposed to go to practice. I mean, like, I can't do this. Only their coach could do it. But their coaches aren't doing it. And even if the coaches are doing it, who's to say the players are going to listen? Because mm-hmm. you have life happening in front of you. You know what I'm saying? And while people, like, for, for me and you and Jess and everything to, like, work from home and kind of adjust our lifestyles you know because that's what is expected that's what's basically like needed of us right now you know we are actually needed to do something for the country like we're in a little bit different position than some of these athletes are and so i don't know man it's just it's it's hard because there is this conflict there and they shouldn't be doing this stuff but at the same time i don't i don't think they're going to be stopped you Mm -hmm. know it's i just don't get it i don't know how to fix it no um you know it's Especially, especially at the college level. I mean, these guys get away with like beating up and raping women. You think they're gonna? The, the, you think their <laughs> right. universities are gonna sanction them for going to a party um, during a pandemic? Of course not. Um, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So no, you're you're just totally right. It's and I get it. Like it's football is asking football is more so than the other sports. They're basically asking the the individuals, be the players or coaches for that matter, or <laughs> anyone else on the staff. 
they're asking you to have an even higher level of responsibility than anyone else. And when you're asking a bunch of like 19, 20, 21 year olds to be really responsible, oh, we know how that goes. Yeah. We're, we're that age. Oh, it yeah. doesn't go well. Yeah, I was asked to be responsible many times and was not and paid the consequences for it and stuff yeah. like that, you know, and yeah, dude, it, it's, ugh, man, it's just, a, it's just a soup. It's a giant fucking mess. It's something that it just even extends beyond what you and I are able to even highlight here on this podcast and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I just don't know. I mean, like I, I get, here's the, the, the dilemma that we get into, you know, all the time is like, you know, Jess and I, we talking about going out every now and then, right. We've eaten in three restaurants, socially distanced, all that stuff since this whole thing has gone down. And it takes a lot of effort mm-hmm. for us to go out to a restaurant. Like, it's kind of like, okay, we need to fucking do something or we're going to go nuts kind of situation. And, you know, for us, that is our lifestyle. We're trying to be as responsible about it as humanly possible. But we're also 19, if, I, if we're not 19 and 20 and 22 or whatever anymore. You know, like if I was that young, I'd probably be doing some stupid shit right now. I'm not going right. to lie. I don't necessarily know if I would be following everything, um, you know, word for word. And that is probably a negative statement on my character and everything like that. And I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, but like that's just, it seems like that's just the way it is. But the way it is isn't the way it should be. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. There's you imagine telling um, you know the the you know the big man on campus at LSU or Alabama um, that like hey you know you can't go you can't go to this club on Thursday night. Um, I mean we can't make you not go, but it'd be great if you didn't go. Even though everyone there would be really happy to see you. I mean, how right. do you, it's really hard to square that. Um, yeah. Which is why I give, like, I'll give, um, I'll give Justin Fields a ton of credit. He was talking about how he basically since the, he was one of the, he's one of the first guys he wanted to start that petition to, um, yep. he's one of the one, no, he is the one that started that petition to, um, and like a potential lawsuit to get the NCAA to allow them to play. Um, and he has backed it up. Like he's backed his, his desire to play has been backed up. By his own responsibility, he's talked about how he goes to he takes his classes online. He goes to the mm-hmm. workout facility. He goes to you know the, obviously the practice field and um, you know any rooms that they have for coaching. And then he's like he says I go back home and I spend the rest of my time in my apartment with my dog. That's all I do. I do nothing else. He says I haven't been on High Street. I haven't been any place else in Columbus I, other than those places. Yeah, and that's why that guy is a fucking is a goddamn champion who's going to be a top 10 NFL draft pick and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's the, that type of athlete is just like a cut above everybody else. Right. You know, like even, in, even in a sport where it seems like everybody should be that guy, not everybody is that right. guy. And that's why people like Justin Fields are who they are. Right. He, he has, he has, the, he has the same idea in my head. Well, in a very different way that like, if I can make it through this year, I can get things that I want next year that mm-hmm. like, you know, if he gets coronavirus and he's knocked out for a couple of games this year, um, I'll, you know what? I'll save that thought, but basically getting, going to a club this year, going to a house party somewhere in Columbus this year, that could, that could detri- that could be detrimental to obviously to his health. That could be detrimental to a career in the NFL. And why yeah. would you do that? millions of dollars yeah. and stuff like that you know millions of dollars are at stake here this is shoe contracts this he he's going to get a shoe contract but if he goes to the nfl oh, sure. he'll be 
provided like he, he doesn't get hurt or anything, that's a dude who is on a fast track to to be something really, really special in the NFL. And it is people like that. It's the people who are able to achieve that kind of success can see the forest through the trees. And there's always some going to be some dumb asshole who falls uphill his entire life. But there's probably a good chance that that same stupid asshole who falls uphill will never, ever be half the character, half the athlete, half the whatever as Justin Fields is. So let's do a quick brainstorm here. Um, What do you, something that they should have or could do differently for both the NFL and the NCAA. Okay, so with the I'll start off at the NFL, and I gotta say they gotta go into the bubble. The only way to really make this work is the bubble. Okay, so with um and this I, I have a similar situation for college, but it, there, but it is different. Okay, so I'll start with the NFL, and what I think that they should do, and I've heard a similar plan be discussed before, is they need to set up like almost like little campuses, like all over the country. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is like, and you, you'd have to start playing like way, way earlier. If you're going to get the full season in, like you'd almost have to start playing like in August sometime. And each team there, these campuses would be designed to house four NFL teams or something like that. At the same time, these teams are there for a month. They play each other, they train, they work out, they practice. Everything is done at these facilities. And then at the end of this month period of time, they maybe go back home for a week or something like that. You know, they're they're or even just right away go on to the next the next kind of campus or whatever. So what it does is it basically, you know, so hopefully will eliminate the the threat of the the virus because there is a bubble element that is involved. Um, It kind of keeps everybody locked in and focused. And even though you do have a week between games, you're on this piece of property. Like you can't leave something like that. It just all, it just basically makes it so it's harder for this virus to get in there. And I will tell you that like being that it is football, being that this is, you know, we're talking about a very long period of time. I would actually give a little bit of leeway for these people to like go home. Maybe the um, maybe one of the campuses or something like that is in Ohio. So the Browns, it's kind of like their time maybe to come with their families, something like that. Just basically mm-hmm. different practice facilities or facilities all set up the country that are designed to house NFL games with no fans, different teams all at once. And then they move on from there. So, um, that's my NFL one. I, you know what? We have the basically the exact same idea. I, I, I just called okay. them. I just called them rotating bubbles, where like okay. you'd have a home site for like the NFC, the AFC North. You know, the Browns, Steelers, Bengals, Ravens would have a home site, and so that's where they're going to play all their quote unquote home games. And you mm-hmm. would rotate in a different division. Would come to play for like a month there, and then yep. they would rotate out, and then for the next you know for the next month, then the AFC North would be on the road to another home site and they would be there for a month. Then they'd rotate out, rotate back again, you know, until you got through the full 16 game season. Same yeah, I've, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard, I heard this like early on as a potential scenario for them. And I actually liked it. I thought that that's something that could work. Mm-hmm. It gives the best of both worlds as you possibly can be where there's a bubble involved, but you're still kind of sort of in the vicinity of your family. So I think it's the only real way to have the harmony between the two. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like it th- in that case, like it's really it it's tough. Like think about it this way: it's what is who it's really good. That kind of solution really be tough on is a lot of the younger and newer players who maybe don't mm-hmm. have like established. Let's say someone's from Florida and they're playing in LA yeah. now, 
and you know they might not they not, might not see anyone from home for like literally twenty weeks. Um, harder on the younger players, but for sure, like again, it's one of those things. If you want, if you want to continue playing, you don't have to. You can opt out. You don't have to play. You can opt out of the season. Um, and it's you know you're not going to get if, at this point if you opt out, you're not going to get paid anything. But there's also no penalty for it. Um, mm-hmm. But you can opt out. You don't have to do it. But if you do want to do this, that's the sacrifice you got to make. Yeah, of course. Like everybody is going to be expected to make sacrifices. You're being paid a lot of money to play a sport that you love and everything. You're being paid a lot of money to be in a position that a lot of people can't be in. A lot of people have tried, but it could not be in. So I think that some level of sacrifice on behalf on behalf of the athlete is only fair. Yeah, Uh, Chema. For me, though, the NCAA this is the hardest one to figure out. You have so many teams, and in some cases, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about like the Big Ten. You're stretched across from New Jersey all the way to Nebraska. Um, right. This is so tough. I think really the only thing you could do is you got to find a hotel. Um, obviously, you, you, you do the same thing with the schedule that the conferences have done, where we're just going to do a conference-only schedule. But then mm-hmm. pick a hotel, and that's where those kids are living. Um, you know, their entire, you know, for this entire abbreviated season. So in the Big Ten's case, um, uh, eight games, eight weeks. You're going to be living in this hotel, so we can kind of, I don't want to say monitor you like we're, you know, like they're children, but like we know where you're supposed to be. And right. hopefully that hotel is, like in the case of like Ohio State, it's somewhere in the outskirts of Columbus. So that right. like, <laughs> hopefully they're out like in Dublin somewhere. So like they're not like, you know, they're not down the street from like some rager, uh, you know, some right. rager house party or something. Yeah, they use the football stadium at Ohio Wesleyan to, uh, to right. play games and everything. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, I, when it comes to realistically, that's the only way to do it. Like, just get all these people in a hotel, pick a location, and just have them play. That is the only way to get this whole thing, um, it's to actually have this whole thing work and have it be effective. Because there's just too much. There's too much land between teams. There's too much people around these around these players and stuff. So the only way to actually do it and be 100% effective because even the one I'm going to say is not a hundred. I don't believe it's a hundred percent effective, but to be 100% effective, it is your, that's the strategy yeah. you have to go with. Yes. So what you, yeah. So what are you, uh, what are you going with? Okay. So mine is, um, mine's a little more radical. Um, and it's not guaranteed to work in the same sense that yours is, but I try to think of the harmony between the two because the NCAA, like I, I, my one buddy was telling me that like, if the college players were to go in a bubble, it kind of, maybe extends the whole thing that they're not student athletes, they're employees that yeah. They're, yeah exactly so what i'm going to do is um i'm going to be doing a uniform across the board it doesn't matter about your fucking governors your conference none of that shit so what i'm going to do is um i'm going to drastically reduce the season okay this whole idea of playing over eight games whatever it is it's just not happening here the season is going to be five games long and it's going to start at um the last week in november when most schools are on break now i know that this doesn't pull every single body off the campus Mm -hmm. but it drastically reduces the amount of people that are on the campus so what we do is we have a five games and the, the fifth game would be your conference championship so if i time this out perfectly or if i time this out correctly you would have four games and you're going to play 
four legitimate games. I'll give you one warm-up game in the beginning, but like Ohio State, you're playing uh, you're playing Rutgers in the beginning, and then it's uh, Wisconsin, uh, Penn State, and um, Michigan. You know, like because you have to have the rivalry game. No, sure. Even though Pe- even though Penn State, we found out is just kind of a fucking well flat player. I'm going to give Penn State a huge break this year. They are missing a lot of their players opted out and got injured like okay. right away this season. So, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I did not know about that. Uh, I did, yeah, I don't think I knew about the, they're, out. they're down but, um, to their, their fourth running back had to retire because he has a heart condition. So they're down. Oh shit. They're down to like a walk on running back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Did not know about that. So yeah, we'll give Penn state a pass, but um, Penn state would be like a name that you would want in this schedule, you know? So there's, it's not a cakewalk thing. And I got to tell you, like being that Penn state kind of turned out what they did, I got to tell you, Ohio state has got a cakewalk to the fucking oh, national yeah. title. And, <laughs> and if, if they even look like that's, that's what they should do, that they should be there a hundred percent. But to make the season interesting, I am removing all of the fucking throwaway games, everything. And if you're a team like Notre Dame that's independent, you're going to kind of have to work a little bit harder if you want to play. But Ohio State and everybody, it's in conference. You play the best people in your conference. When it's all said and done, there is a conference championship game, which should be taking place right around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And then you have the you basically take the what ends up being the top 26 teams in the NCAA there are 13 bowl games that are played, including the, um, you know, the, the playoff and yeah. the other big bowl games and stuff like that. And that's it. It's just a very short, very limited, but sort of practical because it is not a full fledged campus population while this, you know, because it's, they'd be take basically the season would be going while it's on break. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's a really good idea. I mean, it, there's no way that, that the that they'll ever shorten the season that uh, you know if this were ever happen again they'll shorten the season that much. Right. But yeah, no, that, it makes perfect sense to just to push everything. Put you know to push even if they were just to push everything back. Like you, you can't. I, I gotta. I feel like that wherever I don't know where the national championship is this year, but like the way the NFL does the Super Bowl, um, it's in the Super Bowl is in Tampa this year. The super, the NFL has the has the stadium for an entire month like it's theirs Mm -hmm. in case they do need for whatever reason they need to shuffle dates around i can't imagine that the ncaa couldn't do the same thing and push themselves back a couple it must be because of the draft and stuff that's the only in the combine it's the only thing i can think of but you know like if you if even if you're just to push this current season back two weeks you would be avoiding you know and the season started essentially in november you'd have a big bulk of the season happening when no one was at college. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And not only that, you would have a better assessment of what this virus in its first winter time is going to look like. Yeah. You know, and I, I got to tell you, like, um, which I'll just save it for the next question, but I, I'm worried. Okay, so I'll yeah. just, we'll move on to the next let's, question. Yeah, let's just, let's just go into it. What are you, what are you worried about here? <laughs> well, like, dude, I, I'm telling you, I don't know if the seasons if they're going to finish and like before college football and before the nfl started you and i had many conversations about how like football just having this protective wall of time Mm -hmm. and everything and stuff and how even when the hall of fame game got canceled i was like oh this wall's starting to crack a little bit well not only has the wall cracked but this virus and everything is starting to seep into it and stuff and 
I'm at a little bit of a crossroads of thought where on one side I am like, okay, at some point in time, it's just going to get bad enough and somebody's going to intervene and just say, fuck it. Like we're going into lockdowns, all this stuff. And it would thus in turn prevent them from finishing the season, at least on time, you know, it'd be suspended indefinitely. Who knows if it's going to return. Right. And then part of me is like, they're just going to fucking roll with it. It just don't even matter. It doesn't even matter whatsoever. Like it would, if Trevor Lawrence got the coronavirus and died on the field after throwing a losing interception, that I don't think is going to be enough. And I used to think that that would be enough, but I, I don't even know if that's enough now. So the future right now, it's, I'm, I know there's going to be a lot more cancellations. We have mm-hmm. only really be, begun to see the beginning of it. And I'm going to venture a guess where there will be one time in the next month where we are talking about minimal college football games on television. Like I'd be surprised if there was maybe 10 total games on TV just because everything is postponed or canceled or being rescheduled or something like that. And um, I, when it comes to the NFL, man, that's another tough one too. (laughs) Like I, I'm kind of in the same boat here where I see, postponements i i don't know about cancellations like just because i don't the whole whole raiders defense they're not canceling games nfl is not going to cancel any games unless like an entire team like literally an entire team gets it they're not going to cancel any games yeah so like even just like knowing that they're as gung-ho as it is and that that extraordinary circumstance like they could easily pull through they could definitely fucking pull through but who knows this virus is so lucrative where what if a whole team does get it? I, you know, there's just so many what ifs, but I could at least say with the NFL, maybe we'll get, maybe we will at least get, we will get to that point where there's at least one team that's just, it's just horrible and they can't have a game. I'm at least thinking that's going to be happen one time in the NFL. I, I mean, I think you're right with the NFL. Like it's going to get worse. Um, but like they, again, cause they, they have a little bit more flexibility with their playoffs. And with mm-hmm. you know with the timing of the season, uh, they're they were talking about like instituting a week eighteen um, for any which I I think just putting it at the end of the season would be a bad idea. But if you were to like, I'll I'll, I'll get into the second. But like they're think about instituting a week eighteen for any key miss games that that matter. Mm-hmm. So like you know if if the Jets miss a game, who the fuck cares? They'll, I guess they'll go zero and fifteen instead of zero and sixteen if the Jets miss a game. But you know, like, let's say the Browns and the Ravens, you know, let's say, like, let's just pretend like we split a game with the Ravens, uh, split the season with the Raiders later, or the Ravens later on, just uh, in a couple weeks. And, you know, there's like a tiebreaker that, you know, that's going to come down to whether we win or the Raiders or the Ravens, excuse me, win a game later in the season. Those games are going to get played if they have to in a, in a supplemental week. Um, okay. So, like, there could be a week 18. Um, I think they should, I think they should move that week into week 17 if that makes sense and then push any of the regular scheduled games into week 18 like if if they feel like a game is critical enough to make up then get it Mm -hmm. done sooner rather than later if that makes sense right yeah it it definitely does yeah for sure um because if you you know if you if you have like a key game let's just say like it's the um let's just say it's going to come down to the browns and the titans i have the same record too for like a wild card spot if in week 17, something happens where both of them make it, then they don't need to play. You know what I mean? Like, then you, you took that yeah. game out of rotation for no reason. But anyway, um, so we're going to have we're going to have a week 18 in the, with the NFL. There's going to be at least one game that needs to be like remade or replayed or made up, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think with with college football, where I was going to go with like someone with, with Justin Fields 
is because of all these missed games and people getting the virus, someone is going to be screwed out of some college football hardware. Um, like, Justin Fields might not play enough games to win the Heisman. Uh, Trevor Lawrence certainly isn't going to play enough games to win the Heisman. Um, right. And it could happen to, you know, and not just the Heisman. It could be, there could be some linebacker that's not going to win the, what is it, the Buckus Award, I think, for the top linebacker. Yep. Um, that's going to get screwed out of it because he only ended up playing in like five or six games. Um, and, you know, didn't have enough time, didn't put enough, uh, you know, put enough stats up on the board to, to get noticed this year. Um, and then additionally, it's going to, it's maybe not, I mean, maybe, maybe not with the college football playoff. They're going to take the four teams they want anyway. Um, you know, like if, if Ohio State's undefeated, they're going. Even if they're 7-0 instead of 8-0, they're going. Yeah, um, right. But maybe there's a team, a Big 12 team or uh, an SEC team sitting on the cusp there that misses a game and they can't make it up. And that's going to cost them to be, you know, being in the college football playoff. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right on that. Like, there's um, when it comes to the Heisman, Trevor Lawrence is basically already out of He's it. Out, you know yeah. what I'm saying? If he if he were to win it, it would be a major problem with how they pick the Heisman winner it's, and right. stuff like that. And yeah, man, like I got to tell you, like being screwed out of that hardware and stuff, and if that means something to you, and I, I mean, I can only imagine being considered to oh, be the Heisman sure. means something to you. I don't care how much they try to play it, like it doesn't. Yeah, I'd feel robbed. I'd feel cheated. I'd feel like, even if, I mean, if it's my fault, it's a whole different thing. Like Trevor Lawrence got COVID or whatever, but it's, I don't know, man. It it is just something about like taking something away from somebody or not even giving them the opportunity to, to get it because of this whole situation and stuff. And if I was a quarterback or linebacker going up for those awards, yeah, I'd be, I would be definitely devastated for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Without, without a fucking doubt, man. And like, yeah, it's just this whole thing. Like, it's just like, you're right. The whole thing with the the playoffs and stuff, they're, they're going to take whoever the hell they want and everything. And, but who knows, like this could be a really good thing for a team where maybe somebody gets in, you know, that would normally get in there, but at the same time, it might cheapen the quality of the playoffs because, Hey, Cincinnati Bearcats are now the number four team in the country mm-hmm. and they're playing Alabama. They're, they're playing Alabama in the first week. So I got an, I'll be getting into the college football championship at least one more time this episode. So I'm going to save some of my thoughts okay. for that, but um, I, I do hear what you're saying here yeah. for sure. Uh, real quickly here, I call this little segment. I love LA. We had uh, the Dodgers uh, obviously won the world series. And prior to that, the Lakers won the NBA title. Um, so we had uh, we had two LA teams. Your your new your new your newly adopted city, uh, repping big, um, <laughs> in the title department uh, despite the pandemic. Um, so really, these two first two questions are definitely for you. I, I can't really answer them, but um, you know, despite the pandemic and obviously everything that's going on out there, how is the mood in LA after claiming two titles in a year? Okay, I will tell you, dude, it's a little bit happier out here. Now, people, for sports not necessarily being something that L.A. is known for embracing mm-hmm. or whatever, people have, there's a lot of enthusiasm here. And whether it's a whole new mural, because believe me, L.A. loves painting murals on stuff. Oh, for sure. Or, or just even, like, walking down our street and somebody having a Lakers flag outside their house that wasn't there. And believe me, I've walked around our neighborhood every day for eight months. I know what flags were happening <laughs> outside houses, but like it's, it is cool to see this city that isn't necessarily known for 
a sports town, mm-hmm. not, not only getting two championships, but to get a basketball championship in the year Kobe died, that means a lot for the city, dude. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, man, like, uh, I'll tell you outright that if I was to have had conversations with 10 people in LA, uh, nine of them are not from Southern California. That's just the way it is. Very transient sure. city. But the one person that is from LA and just the, the one example that, that I know off the top of my head, like somebody that I would not even really think to be a basketball fan, but Kobe Bryant, like met so much to them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just such an icon of the city and stuff like that. It's very, it's very, very similar to the LeBron Cleveland thing, even though I think the LeBron Cleveland thing, there's a little more weight to it because he's from Northeast Ohio. Sure. Yeah. But, but there's definitely some all out admiration of Kobe. Um, there's definitely an appreciation for basketball in this town with, with people who lived here. So they're kind of holding their heads like a little bit higher and everything. And then more than rightfully so the Lakers haven't won a title in like about 10 years or so, maybe uh, eight years, something le- like that. Years, 2012. Right? 2008 right 2008 or nine yes it's been a decade so yeah so it's been a while and like with the um so like there's definitely it's cool to kind of like you know to have la the lakers this historic franchise to to be on top again and everything to have lebron james bring you know not only himself like a another title but to bring a, another championship to another town that he's played in it's just it's a really cool and really really like kind of positive environment and the dodgers like um the dodgers it's i don't believe there's as much appreciation for the lakers just what i've seen this is definitely more of a lakers town but it doesn't mean that the, the dodgers victory is going acknowledged and the coolest example that i can think of is um there is a mall by our house where we, we have to go to Target to go. We have to go to a mall to go to Target before mm-hmm. the new one opened up by our house. And just basically because they had the whole pickup in-store thing. And, um, dude, there's this awesome, awesome banner. This thing is huge. It's massive. And it's being hung from the side of a building that they're currently building on one of the Cedars campuses that's across the street from this mall. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, too big, like you know, like all like basically what would be in a high school gymnasium of all the different years that the teams wanted and stuff. And when you look to, and you see the Lakers one and it's like loaded with titles and mm-hmm. shit, it just, it just looks badass. Like there's something about this banner hanging on this building that it's on Sepulveda Boulevard um, in LA, which is right by the airport. It's about, um, what is it? Like a, about a mile or so, two miles, three miles North from LAX. So it's just this really cool kind of, you know, homage to these two teams winning the championships, which I think is pretty sweet. Very nice. Uh, so how about, you know, be, be they native Los Angelinos or maybe just like stuff you've heard in the, the sports talk scene out there, do they view the, the, the Dodgers title as sort of vindication for potentially being fucked over by two teams? <laughs> Certainly by one, but possibly two teams uh, in the World Series. Yeah, so there's def- I'm not going to say that that's not around because that is definitely around. Um, whether it's people making jokes on Twitter, the occasional reference and kind of jab, you know, that um, that they make on talk radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. There is a, somebody that I work with that is actually like one of these, you know, karma's a bitch kind of things. Um, so I would say that it's probably about like sixty percent of you know, whatever I hear, whatever I see is geared towards the whole, like, fuck the Astros. This is karma, you know, God screwing them over kind of thing. And there's about another 40% that are mixed between 
this is just the year to do it. And, and the fact that the Dodgers are a phenomenal baseball team, mm-hmm. just loaded with talent, you know? So it's, it's kind of like a mix between, um, you know, between the, um, like kind of like these, the sarcastic approach to it and the realistic approach. I gotcha. I gotcha. So th- here's, here's why I asked you this question. Uh, this next question, it, and I'll, I'll just I'll phrase it out there for everyone. Um, it's Lakers are the NBA champs, Dodgers are the MLB champs, and just doesn't that feel right in the big picture of American sports? Because it feels right to me. And I, I, I'm going to, before I answer it, I'll let you go ahead and, and take the reins here on this okay. question. Okay, so this was, the, this was the one question that, this one was one of the more difficult ones for me, and I'm okay. going to try to explain this as best as I possibly can. Okay, so just kind of hear me out on this. There is certain kind of things that like almost like i guess promote like a sense of harmony in sports i guess and when i was in high school this kind of harmonious state would be best described as like saint ignatius winning a state championship in football because ignatius is always one mm-hmm. they're just a powerhouse whatever and then saint edward would basically clean the house everywhere else they'd have basketball wrestling, wrestling baseball yeah. they didn't get mm-hmm. if they didn't get all three they were definitely getting wrestling and they were definitely getting one of the other two, you know, just saying that we're just being such a powerhouse that it is. And I started to think about like what this actually, like what this microcosm, this like example of Ohio sports and how this could be applicable to what we're talking about here at a larger, at a larger kind of um, situation. And there is just something right about the Lakers winning a title I don't know. It just kind of fits. It doesn't have to happen every year. But when the Lakers do it, even since I was a kid, there's just something about it that it just kind of seems like this is the place for the Lakers is like being in the playoffs, being in the finals, having the city of L.A. and all the, the kind of, you know, kind of the backing and everything that comes with that and all the celebrities decked out in Laker gear mm-hmm. and showing their support and all this stuff. It just kind of seems like it's something that comes with the territory. Now, the Dodgers they while i don't think it's not like the dodgers aren't some like major dynasty at least not in the or like in the sense that the lakers are you know the dodgers have world series titles a lot of them were in brooklyn they've had two or three in la I know oh the last you one was are in the you are incorrect sir really were they not all in brooklyn one title in, in brooklyn years? six in la oh okay shit i i could not remember the year they came over because i know that they have a lot of things early on so for some reason i thought those were all in brooklyn so nope. i am definitely sorry about that i knew there'd be one major biff in this whole speech somewhere <laughs> so uh, so like um the dodgers getting this world series victory like it just it feels right it, you know they were screwed last time around um so it so it just kind of feels right and so i i think about this and like it is just there's just something right about it the lakers winning the year Kobe died, the Dodgers pulling it off after a year that they were like just so screwed out of everything. And then also with like the Kansas City Chiefs, a smaller market team winning the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. there's just something. It's like small market in football, big market in basketball, big market in baseball. It, this is what I consider to like the sports harmony to be like. You know, it's it's weird when like the Kansas city Royals take the world series, you know, the small team that just kind of comes out of nowhere to do it while the Dodgers, it's a historic franchise. It's a franchise that hasn't had a world series victory in a while. So 
everything about this just seems to be right. This seems to be like this harmonious state of sports that I, I think I kind of known like when I was a kid, you know, it's like, you seem to have teams that aren't the super crazy metropolises like Buffalo going to the super bowl, you know, even though they lost and even Dallas, Dallas is a big city, but it's not New York, LA, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, like them winning the super bowl. Like I, there's just something about, there's something about everything that's going on that just feels right to me. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of how I interpreted this question. No, that, that was basically what I was getting at. Like, you know, you think about the Lakers, this is, you know, one of one of the two NBA blue bloods. You know, like the Lakers mm-hmm. are the closest thing that the NBA has to the Yankees. Um, in which case, they have two Yankees. You know, the NBA has two Yankees. They have the Celtics and the Lakers. Um, right. After after you get done divvying up all of the, you know, the Celtics and Lakers, not even just their wins, their appearances in the finals. It's like the rest of the teams have like basically mm-hmm. not been there. Um, right. So like you have one of the original, you know, one of the original blue bloods of the NBA. Um, you know, they should always be in the title hunt. It's it's just, it's weird where they're not. Like if the Yankees took like an extended hiatus from, which actually they haven't been in the world series in 10 years. Uh, it was the last time they're in the world series. So, mm-hmm. um, they, they missed out on the 2010s or actually it will be 21 years now or 11 years, excuse me. So they missed out on the 2010s entirely, um, by missing the, the world series, which is kind of like for the Yankees, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, right. You know, similar thing with the Lakers. So like they should always be in the hunt. And it just feels right that every few years they should be the champs. You know, they have, you're right. Like when I think of the Lakers, I think of like these, this long lineage of just tremendous players stretching back to even back when they were in Minneapolis, they had great players then. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you think about the Lakers with, with Jack on the sidelines, Denzel on the sidelines, just a who's who of people there to watch the Lakers play, to give LeBron some dap as he goes by. Like that just feels right. And the, and with the Dodgers, it's just, one, it just feels like it's the baseball universe or the baseball gods sort of like evening things out for this team that had to play two teams accused of cheating in back-to-back years. Um, right. Or not acu- one one team accused and one team that definitely did cheat um, in back-to-back years, and you know, and and with a lot of and with a lot of players that have like these these borderline to definite Hall of Fame resumes on the Dodgers. Um, you know, obviously Clayton Kershaw, Mookie Betts is just building his resume right now, but you know, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, he's going to win more MVPs and he's going to end up in the hall of fame too. Um, same with Cody Mm -hmm. Bellinger. Um, so it just, it feels, you know, there is, there is no, in baseball, there is no counter to the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees are the fucking Yankees. There's just no one else like them, but teams like the Dodgers are old school teams, teams, you know, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cardinals, the Cubs, um, even, you know, even the Indians, um, those are like your counters to the, those are the, your old school teams that have been around for a hundred plus years that are the counter to the Yankees. And it just feels like coastal balancing when the Dodgers are out there winning world series titles too. And, and, you know, like the Dodgers to me are the most LA team. They're one of the first teams that got out to LA. Actually the Rams beat them, but, um, by a couple years, but, uh, you know, the Dodgers are like a, an LA team. They had, they've had a lot of Mexican players, um, you know, and they're they're huge in the Mexican community in Los Angeles. So like, it's even though it's a big, even though it's such a big franchise, it's also like locally important to the people that comprise a, a huge chunk of the Los Angeles area and the city of Los Angeles. Of dude, of course, man, you're you're you you got that right on the head with that. And like when you go to like when you go to a Lakers game and we've been to one Lakers game and I'm never, I'm telling you, Jess is never paying what she paid for tickets to that ever again. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's my fucking birthday. Okay. But when you, when you go to the Lakers game, 
even though you're in this arena with, you know, 20,000 other people or whatever it is, there isn't this, there's not a blue collar element to it, you know, and I, I, I will say this to the day I die and I don't care if I end up dying a rich guy or somebody who is definitely not rich, which is probably looking the way it's going to happen. <laughs> but, um, but um, I will always say that there is, there needs to be a blue collar element of sports in some way, shape or form. You know, it can't all be for rich people. It can't all be for the, for the wealthy and everything. And that's what the, that's what the Lakers are, you know, like, and granted, like I'm sure everybody who lives in LA at some point in time will have their tenure of going to a Lakers game at some point in time, but it's just the Dodgers are a little bit more like it's where it's more grounded. That's where you do see like more, um, more Hispanic uh, people in the audience and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they're, families and everything like like real fucking people basically and stuff and when you go to when you go to the lakers games like there are people that are you know dressed to like they're dressed to the nine they're going to the club afterwards the lakers game is just kind of like an appetizer for the evening and stuff whereas like the dodgers like you're looking at people that that come to the stadium dressed in like the, the Jersey and they have the Dodger shorts and they're, even though they're not playing, they're wearing the high socks and the stirrups mm-hmm. and stuff. Like you just don't get that in, um, in the Lakers game. So it's very vital for a team like the Dodgers to, to win a championship every now and then, because it's just, it's a nice throwback to the community, dude. Like, and it's a nice thing for any team to win a championship every, every now and then it's not just LA, but when you see the contrast between like the Lakers crowd and the Dodgers crowd, like you just know that like this world series really, really, really means something to what I believe to be a majority of like real Dodgers fans. Whereas mm-hmm. like the Lakers, I'm not saying that this championship isn't important and believe me, like I, I like said, it's all about sports harmony, but there's a certain thing with Lakers fans and they might all be diehard fans, but they just sure as hell don't dress or act like it. And I just think that the Dodgers, World Series is a more important victory to like, yeah. the blue collar fans and stuff like that. You know right. for sure. While is the the Lakers championship definitely important, but I just think the Dodgers championship inches it by a little bit. It's it's sort of like um, I always think about it like this way. Like when you know when the Yankees win a World Series, obviously the Yankee fans go nuts. But you know like like there's so many people that are Yankees fans that have never mm-hmm. set foot. In the city of New York, and that's that's fine. Whatever, I don't care. Right, right. <laughs> but you know what's a really big deal to the people of New York? The Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. That was huge yeah. for New York because that's like that is a much even though they're a, it's a huge city with a you know with a big name team. That's a local team. The the, the Rangers yeah. are a local team. That's a really good way to put it. That's their local team. Every that the, the Yankees are like a national team that just happens to be in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there you go. This little 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 segment on LA there. Um, yeah, like too bad you couldn't really enjoy any of the parades or any of the festivities or anything for any of these titles because that would have been a lot of fun. I know, I know. There supposedly the mayor is working to do a celebration in the future. Yeah, we just don't know when that's going to be, and whenever that does happen, you fucking bet we're going. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like I don't care, for sure. we're fucking going for sure. <laughs> 